Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. Welcome, my minions, Earthlings. You have stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world. My name is Tom Marquez, El Presidente. Welcome and begin to pay homage to me for the next two hours as we will guide you through this crazy world of sports. And welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations across this great land. This is the number one sports talk show in the world between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Coming off a great, awesome NFL draft special on Thursday night. If you missed it, catch it on Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, TuneIn, uh, and catch it there or certainly here on Blog Talk Radio in our archived uh, division. It was one uh, for the records. It was a great uh, NFL draft show, and we'll continue our NFL draft talk Later on in the second hour, coming up here, though, right around the corner, Matthew Embry from at Popular Open Wheel Now joins us, breaking down a soggy barber down in Bama. But more importantly, guess what? IndyCar's back in Indy. That's right. So uh, we're going to be talking Indy 500, Indy Grand Prix, all of that with Matthew Embry. And then Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest joins us. Got a lot to talk about. It's Dega, baby. Shake and bake. 917-889-8. Try that again. 917-889-8516 is our digits. If you want to be a part of the show, myself and my executive producer, Rick Riggin, is right here for you. We'll be right back. It's about to get good. doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. 
Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Mark Lassell, President. Hey, about ready to kick things off here. Before we do, bring on board our executive producer to say hello, Mr. Rick Reagan. Uh, how are you, sir? Hey, good morning, Tom. Uh, welcome to The Balance uh, listeners. Uh, Matt Embry, I don't know if you're here yet or not. I don't have that control panel in front of me, but good morning to you, too. Good Matt day, my good friends. Hey, there he is. What's going on? So I, uh, throw I thought I'd take a second. <laughs> I, I thought I'd take a quick second here, guys, before we get into the IndyCar talk, because we uh, play a little Homer uh, game here in Indiana. Uh, Matthew, I know you're up there in the thick of things in the Fighting Irish in Notre Dame, and of course Rick Riggin, big Notre Dame guy, and I'm a big Colts fan. Big connection there. What is it? Quentin Nelson, number one overall pick for the Colts, and the number six pick. I'm sorry, overall. Uh, for the Colts in the first round. We'll start with you, Matt. You're up there in the thick of it. What do people think about Quentin Nelson staying in the Hoosier State? It's a decent pick. I tell you, it's interesting that things worked out that way. I thought for sure he'd probably go. I didn't think he'd go number six. I thought that he would go, uh, you know, possibly 10 or just outside of that. But, uh, you know, it's a good opportunity. They obviously need protection for Andrew Luck if he is not necessarily 100% at the start of the year. So, I think it's going to work out in all camps. And then they also got another uh, talented lineman in the fr- later on as well. So things are looking real good right now for the Colts. Uh, just very curious to see what they do um, coming up 
you know, today, starting at noon, when they have a few picks, obviously uh, could use another wide receiver. They're, if they want to stay on the Notre Dame route, there's always equanimity of St. Brown, for instance, as one possibility, or even uh, Deshaun Johnson uh, from Penn State, that's a possibility. So there's a few places where they can still find some decent value. And, again, we as we've seen time and time again, we've seen scenarios where even an undrafted player will help you. So, there's still places where the Colts could bolster themselves, and for Notre Dame players that may not get picked because there's questions where or not Niles Morgan's name will be called, uh, et cetera, there's still an opportunity for them to be able to contribute somehow, some way. I mean, look at, for instance, uh, Matthias Farley, another undrafted player that's been doing very well at the Colts the last couple seasons. There you go, Rick. Have a breakdown for us. Uh, Rick Riggins, certainly our college football analyst and big Notre Dame homer himself. Quentin Nelson, uh, number six overall pick in the first round to the Indianapolis Colts. What say you, Rick? Yeah, I'm with Matt on this one. I, I didn't feel like he, he would go as high as six. I mean, I know there's a lot of talk with him possibly even being top five, but I thought he would just fall down right into uh, Harry Heistein's lap with the Chicago Bears. That's actually where I thought he would end up. But you know what? The Colts went out, and, and I and I feel like that Quentin Nelson might be the only, like, true guarantee that's going to be a great, you know, multi-time pro bowler in this draft and went out and got their guy in Quentin Nelson. And they also got another guard in the second round. So uh, Frank Reich is, is doing the right things. He's protecting Andrew Luck. It, that, that was the right moves. And just like uh, – Matt was talking about an EQ uh, possible receiver for the Colts, you know, as they're looking receiver. But they also might need some running back uh, help, too, and Josh Adams is still available. Well, we'll certainly get into that more into the second hour. Obviously, we've got to get into some IndyCar talk here. Uh, Rick's monitoring the war room. Uh, if you've got questions on Twitter, if you want to uh, follow us on social media or chat with us on social media, Rick's got you there. 917-889-8516 is our digits if you want to talk IndyCar, NASCAR, NFL, uh, what have you. And how about those Indianapolis Indiana Pacers uh, forcing a game seven against the Cleveland Cavaliers. All of that coming up in the second hour. We'll get to you now. Matthew Embry, IndyCar, kind of a rainy uh, barber motorsports. Uh, had to do a two-dayer, if you will, but got the race in. Give us a recap of uh, racing down in Bama. First things first, the folks that's on Twitter, folks, that's not me, by the way. I do have my shirt on. I don't have an American flag in my hands, and it's not uh, raining super hard in South Bend right now. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, crazy race there. And crazy race there. Obviously, Newgarden getting the victory. Obviously, that now gives him two wins on the season. He's still right up there. Now, in fact, has regained the points lead from Alexander Rossi uh, headed to the month of May events at Indy. I think it was just a matter of survival for pretty much everybody right now in getting through that race because the conditions were just atrocious there. You really couldn't pass. You really couldn't do a whole lot. The big thing was just staying on the road and out of trouble and, you know, avoiding places where you could lose time, obviously, on the pit lane. But uh, miserable conditions, and I'd say uh, give an attaboy to anyone that placed in the top ten this past weekend or Monday as uh, the race got delayed by a day. 
Absolutely. Well, the good thing about it is the sun has returned. It is sunny here in Indianapolis. Uh, certainly, we've seen our, our share of rain here in Indianapolis this year. Hopefully, the month of May is uh, uh, sunny for us. But we get ready now for the Indianapolis Grand Prix. I know you and I will reconnect uh, in person at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway this year. But an exciting time uh, to be had by all in the month of May. Talk with us a little bit about what is so special about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway there at 16th and Georgetown in Speedway, Indiana. Well, obviously, uh, it was big when it was just a once-a-year thing. Obviously, you know, some things have died down just a little bit with the extra events like, you know, the Brickyard 400, etc. But this is still the main draw. Uh, draws the biggest number of fans in the seats for certainly when we get to May 27th. You'll certainly see that. Uh, like to see more fans show up for qualifying weekend. That's something that's been a little bit lacking the last few years where there's been a lot of empty seats. Maybe the bumping will bring a few uh, hardened fans back for that. But, uh, yeah, this is the big culmination right now, and uh, I think there's a lot of unknowns this year uh, as, you know, how fast these cars will go, uh, how much trouble will these cars have uh, with the lighter weight in the back as opposed to the last few years when they had all that weight in the rear of the car. If that's going to cause a little bit of a learning curve, maybe that will allow some of the rookies to be more competitive this time around. But, uh, yeah, ultimately this is what it's all about. And, hey, I'm proud to say I've been to, you know, at least one day of action every month uh, at Indy since 2005. There's a reason I'm there, and uh, as long as I'm around, I'm going to still be there as much as I possibly can. Well, let's start breaking down these camps as they get ready for the Indianapolis Grand Prix and, of course, the uh, the one uh, the 102nd running, I'm sorry, I'll get this straight, of the Indianapolis 500, the greatest spectacle in racing. You get, if you're if you're uh, uh, James Hinchcliffe, you've got to be happy. If you're Wick, uh, Wickens, you've got to be happy. If you're Canadian, you've got to be happy. Talk with us a little bit about the two Canadian drivers that are making a huge impact on IndyCar in 2018. Well, obviously, Hitch is going to have a chance. Obviously, the pole sitter here a couple years ago had the Deerfield crash a year before that. Wickets, I think, has been able to take to a duck to water. So if he makes the Firestone fast dive as a rookie, I wouldn't be surprised. And obviously, uh, one guy that stands to benefit as well, you would think, would be Jay Howard, uh, who had a very impressive qualifying run, unfortunately ran out of gas in the race and then got involved in the accident that sent uh, Scott Dixon into orbit, thankfully, without injury. But, uh, yeah, you look at those three, and maybe even Jack Harvey, considering Sam Smith's providing the car for Meyer Shank, uh, those four guys could be extremely competitive uh, when we get to the month of May. And, like we say, Sam the man's had some success here. And, like I wrote in the article, my Power Rankings article, popped their open wheel earlier this week, uh, maybe they're due for some more good luck uh, with uh, possibly a little bit of edge, possibly toward the Honda as opposed to the Chevrolet assuming that trend that we've seen the last two years uh, comes into play again. So IndyCar doing some testing, and the fans can go out to the Speedway and check out the testing. Talk with us a little bit about that, what it is. Certainly it's not a race, but it's certainly a good opportunity for fans to get out there and see cars on the track at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Indy Speedway test opens up uh, to the fans. That will be the open areas where you can view the practice. That's going to be the Hall of Fame Museum parking lot. That's the insides of turns one and two, the grandstand on the inside where the old uh, carousel scoreboard used to be. That will be open for sitting down there. Also, I believe the handicap area where you can get some good photo spots will also be available, and also that mound area in turn two. 
so plenty of good views to see uh, cars at least through half of the track at least. You know, the back straightaway toward three and then from one all the way around to three, et cetera. So good chance to get stuff there and uh, be very curious to see uh, possibly a few new paint schemes. Possibly could see the debut on when we get to the refreshers for the brand-new Wix Builders paint scheme for Sage Karam coming up on Tuesday. Uh, again, on Monday, it's the veterans that run. And then on Tuesday, they bring out the ROP drivers that, or refresher course drivers, and they'll be out for some testing, and then there'll be some manufacturer testing uh, available on Wednesday uh, for some teams. I think the thing, though, that's going to be interesting, though, to focus in on is who's going to be competitive, but also how much it's going to help guys, because there's going to be several guys here, like, for instance, uh, J.R. Hildebrand, Pippa Mann, et cetera, that will not be competing or participating in the test this week. So it'll be interesting to see how much of a disadvantage that puts them at with this brand-new car when we get to the month of May, and if that hurts their qualified position uh, when we get to qualifications, and obviously uh, their position to be able to not they make the field with uh, 35 going for only 33. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of uh, point out to those people that may not know, R O R I'm sorry, I, I can't talk. It's only Saturday. ROP is actually Rookie Orientation Program. Uh, so that'll be going on. Fans will be able to go to the track between 10 a.m. and 5 uh, uh, p.m. And as Matt mentioned, the, the mounds are a great uh, place to go and watch. Certainly some of the most notable participants is three-time Indy uh, uh, 500 winner Elio Castanevis. Good to have him back at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, who made a full-time move to Team Penske IMSA a sports car program, but will return to the Speedway in his Chevy-powered Penske IndyCar on Monday. The Brazilian completes the Team Penske's four-car roster. Talk with us about Team Penske, as they are always a, always team, a team to watch at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the month of May. The question with Team Penske, I said it earlier, is, is Chevrolet improved? If they have, then they have a much better chance to win the race as opposed to last year when they were struggling just to qualify on the eighth row of the grid. Uh, that's the biggest concern in my book is how aggressive are they going to be in qualified trim, and if this car is not as easy to overtake with as the old car was, uh, obviously grid position is going to mean a whole lot more than it has the last few years. So you look at for that sense, uh, the question right now, does Chevrolet have the pace uh, to be competitive? I think that's the bigger story right now, and it's going to greatly influence Elio Castanevis' chance to be a four-time winner. And for guys like Pagino, Newgarden, Power, who have yet to win this race, whether or not they're going to be a realistic chance to do it uh, when we get to the month of May. I think that's the big question in my mind is, and it certainly affects, uh, you know, the chances for Danica Patrick at Ed Carpenter Racing and certainly uh, the chances for Tony Kanata and A.J. Foyt. So there's not just uh, the Petsky guys that are a little bit concerned right now, but you also got other contenders, even Ed Carpenter for the pole. Can that, do they have the pace to be able to challenge uh, with that Chevrolet engine as opposed to these Hondas, which seem to have the bigger horsepower band? Absolutely, and I tell you what, the intense fight for engine manufacturer 
Supreme being supreme leader between Chevy and Honda has been defined in the Verizon IndyCar series since its most recent Formula One was launched in 2012. In recent months, well and and well clear of the racing circuit, both uh, brands have uh, put the fight aside and they've worked directly with IndyCar competition uh, department to frame the next step of engine regulations that could be announced next month in Indianapolis. I think this is it's about time this happened. I think it's about time that everybody comes together at the same table. Uh, let's figure out a way to, to win races, but at the same time, let's figure out a way to keep it safe. As we saw uh, not too long ago, Honda uh, was just basically falling apart on the track, wreck after wreck after wreck. We saw serious injuries, James Hinchcliffe being one of those. So I think it's a good opportunity now, Matt, that uh, uh, Chevrolet, IndyCar, and Honda come together as one unit. Yeah, certainly in the case. Obviously, keep in mind, that was the only Honda industry. The the big concern that year in 2015 was with the Chevy Aero kits. Uh, you had Elio Castanevis with a lodge, Joseph Newgarden, Ed Carpenter. I think the initial concern was the Chevrolet Aero kit being able to go off the ground. And then, unfortunately, then we had the Honda incident after qualify, which almost took James Hitchcock's life. But, uh, yeah, obviously safety is improved. Uh, hopefully the speed's are a little bit more controlled if we have a big crash like we had with Sebastian Bourdais. The consequences are less uh, severe uh, this time around because obviously that ruined his entire month and the rest of his season last year when he was a bonafide not only chance to maybe win the Indy 500 but win the IndyCar Championship and the Astro Cup. But, uh, yeah, the big thing right now is uh, I don't know if you'll see 230s this year with the brand, with the car being different. But, uh, yeah, the speeds will be right up there and uh, – It'll be very curious to see uh, if they do turn up the pace of these edges, uh, how much they're able to produce, but also safely produce. Because remember, last year we had guys that were bouncing off the wall and qualifying off of turn two uh, multiple times uh, during the Sunday session. Absolutely. You know, and, and moving forward here, talking about uh, a blast of the past, former uh, champ car driver and current Porsche factory ace, Neil Johnny, I think I'm saying that right, J-A-N-I, says he would like a, a chance to uh, revisit open-wheel racing in America. Will we see him in IndyCar anytime soon? That'd be 2019, but his ties with Red Bull, if he could bring in the money from Red Bull, who is obviously a huge moneymaker with Formula One opportunities and other sports entities, maybe that would be something that they could look at. If not, uh, maybe even form their own team. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what's going to be going on on the racetrack. Certainly one of the things we saw is Gabby Chavez and Simon Padajan have found one uh, common piece of ground uh, since uh, they, their, uh, let's call it a testy encounter following Monday's uh, Honda uh, Grand Prix of Alabama. The Hardy Racing Team Penske drivers haven't spoken and aren't sure that they'll revisit the intense argument or, uh, uh, but, or just let it go. Talk with us a little bit about that. Well, you had the same thing with Tony Kanaan and Charlie Kimball as well. Uh, unfortunately, there is only one place where you could pass on that circuit as turn five, and you're going to have some hard feelings there because guys are going to get desperate because that's the only place. If they can't get it done there, they're not going to be able to get it done anywhere. And uh, unfortunately, have guys get into the contact. Add to that, turn five was a place for multiple spit-offs during practice and qualifying anyway. So it was inevitable. Hopefully, though, they could get that off their mind right now because the last thing they need to do is have that hanging over their heads when they get into race day where the cars are moving much faster and then they get into it and then someone gets hurt. I think that's the bigger concern right now is guys are able to put this behind them when we get to race day itself because the last thing we need is a high-speed accident and a serious injury.
just because someone's trying to get in with somebody else. Absolutely, and Indianapolis Motor Speedway is not the place to do that, a time and a place uh, for everything. So let's talk a little bit, while we've still got a few more minutes in our IndyCar segment, let's talk a little bit about uh, the stables, and we'll start with hometown boy Ed Carpenter Racing, obviously uh, always a, a fan favorite down at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, going to be extra special this year, as he's got Denica Patrick returning to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for her final race and racing career. Okay, let's go through these and just get a piece of paper out. I'd say right now the three drivers that are Ed Carpenter racing, two of them are guaranteed to be in the field. Ed Carpenter should easily get in. Danica Patrick should get in. Spencer Pickett's performance, though, in the first four races, I think is a question mark, even though that team has had a good qualifying record. Spencer Pickett has qualified no better, I believe, than the 10th row, so that's a question mark. Uh, and one guy I think that needs a good qualifying run to ensure that he makes the field for uh, the Indy 500 with 35 cars. So we're going to go through these as quick as we uh, possibly can as, as we get geared up uh, for the uh, 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500. Team Penske Chevrolet, we mentioned them in passing a while ago. Joseph Newgarden, one championship, seven wins, two poles. Will Power, one championship, uh, 32 wins and 50 poles. Simon Patajan, one championship, 11 wins, eight poles. Uh, Team Penske, what say you, sir? All four are locked. I don't see any of them getting in the, having any problem getting in the field. They may not qualify well. That's the only concern right now is how high will they be on the grid when we get to race day itself. But uh, I think all four will easily make the field. We won't have a drama like we had in 95. Chip Canassi Racing, uh, their Honda group. Uh, number nine, Scott Dixon, four championships, 41 wins and 26 poles. Man's a monster. Uh, number 10, Ed Jones, best finish third, uh, best start seventh. Chip Canassi Racing. Bigger question right now is can they get their cars in the Firestone Fast 9? There's no question, unless there's a serious accident or something, that's going to keep those two cars out of the field. And if something were to happen, I'm sure there would be a backup plan for the sponsors to get them back into the field uh, and maybe buy a ride from somebody else if they had to. So I don't think there's any concern for them getting in either. Another powerhouse that we always see at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Andretti Autosports and a Honda Group as well. Uh, number, uh, number 26, Zach Veach. Uh, he's a rookie, but best finish, 19th. Best start, 19th. Alexander Rossi, two wins, one pole. Ryan hunter Ray, one cha uh, championship, 16 wins, six poles. And Marco Andretti, two wins and four poles. It's time for an Andretti to be back in victory lane at Indianapolis Motor Speedway in May. And before we continue... Can we, why don't we give some credit to Marco Andretti? There's a reason why I have him number 10 in my power rank. He's actually kept his nose clean. He's finished no worse than 12th in any of the four races so far. Sure, his best finish is 8th, but he's doing a lot better than some of these other guys who have been all over the place, like Will Power, who had one good finish but three bad ones, and then everyone has been all over the place. So give the guys due. It's the first time in a couple years that Marco's been competitive. I think uh, looking ahead to the other guys, uh, Hunter Ray, Rossi, Munoz are in. I have a question mark, though, about Stephen Wilson, considering he only runs one race a year and he's been absent for two years from Indy. But uh, if he runs some decent numbers in practice, I think that should lock up his place in the field. Absolutely. And I tell you what, it will be a huge uh, story if he's able to pull off a win uh, in, at Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway. Let's go on down the, the path here. Ray Hall, Letterman Racing. Uh, Graham Ray Hall, obviously, six wins, uh, three poles, and Tomoko. Soto or Sato. One of those is the right way to say it. Two wins and seven wins. Two wins, seven wins. I don't know what that means, but go ahead. 
Isn't it hard to believe that Takuma Sato comes into this race as a defending champion, considering if you look at his resume, his results just absolutely, he's only had one top ten finish since winning the Indy 500, believe it or not, Tom? That's no, crazy. And, and it seems to be yeah. like, if you, want to, if you want to call it like the Madden curse, there seems to be like the Indy 500 curse. We saw the same thing with Alexander Rossi. It seems to be that maybe... I don't know really what it is. I can't. There, I don't know if it's uh, if it's a mental thing that these uh, drivers go through after winning the Indianapolis 500. Obviously, that's a huge success for them. A lot of uh, a lot of fame is put onto them, and they're automatically etched in. Maybe they feel like they don't have to compete as hard as they normally do. But it seems to be that kind of a rule that we see. We talked a little bit about Schmidt Peterson uh, Motorsports Honda a little bit earlier. James Hinchcliffe five wins, one pole. Uh, Robert Wickens, he's a rookie. As we mentioned, this guy is uh, lighting it up out there. Jack Harvey. Rookie best finish, 14th, and best start, 18th. I think you're talking about Ray Hall. They should easily get all three of their cars in, even though Oriole Servia will not be at the open test this week. Uh, again, things are looking good for, I'd say, the three Schmidt cars, even though Jay Howard's only a one-and-done driver. And uh, with adding uh, the Meyer-Shank car, since Spit prepares that car, I think if Harvey has some decent runs, he should be able to get in. But uh, I think he's in a more precarious position that the other three will be because they don't get the direct support. AJ Foyt Racing TK. Tony Kanon won championship, 17 wins and 15 poles. And uh, uh, rookie Mathis Lice. I think I said that name right. If I didn't, I apologize. But AJ Foyt Racing, he's in the Chevy. Kanan should get in. His experience will – there's no way he's going to miss. Uh, Laced is going to be a question mark. So is James Davidson uh, putting the deals together. Uh, Laced has looked good in the opener and then had the crash. And since then, I think he's been struggling to find his footing. Did finish 12th at Alabama. But uh, I think right now, question marks about how competitive he will be on the ovals. Uh, he certainly is going to be one that's going to be biting his nails uh, coming to qualifying weekend, as will be James Davidson, who will not be participating uh, in the open test. Let's talk a little bit about Dale Coyne Racing DCR. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais, uh, Zachary Klon DeMalo, uh, he's a rookie, uh, and uh, uh, Fittipaldi uh, is in there as well. Certainly the rookie Fittipaldi, uh, the uh, grandson of the, the great, uh, I believe, Emerson Fittipaldi, his grandson or nephew. But either which way, and then Correct. I think also DCR will be uh, fielding Pippa Man as well, if I'm right about that. Go right ahead, sir. Keep in mind, no Clayman DeMail. Uh, Connor Daly takes over that seat. Uh, I think you could say Daly should be locked in the field. Bourdais could be a contender for the Firestone Fast 9. Question marks, though, about Fittipaldi. I think if he gets up to pace early, he should be fine. Pippa man, though, you know, I love Pippa, and I know you do too, but I tell you what, uh, if you have 35 for 33, uh, she's going to have to find a little more consistency in qualifying, I think, if she's going to make this field. I hate to see her miss, but uh, I think she's going to have a fate, an uphill climb uh, to trying to make the field of 33. 
Pippa Man, she's so nice. That's for sure. Joining us also now, Tyson Lautenschlager. He's going to be uh, joining us with our NASCAR talk, but certainly a big IndyCar uh, uh, aficionado himself, our favorite Canadian, Tyson Lautenschlager from uh, OnPitRoad.com. Tyson, welcome back, back to The Balance. We're talking IndyCar. We're getting ready for Indy here in May uh, at the Indianapolis Grand Prix coming up next. Uh, talk with us a little bit about your thoughts as we go into the biggest month of, of uh, IndyCar, and that's the month of May right here in Indianapolis. Yeah, well, I caught the uh, the last little bit of that talking. I assume about uh, who's going to be good to make it in the Indy 500, and, and I kind of agree. I think we have a there are some really uh, some of the younger guys that are going to be wild cards to make it, and some of them that should be in good shape. Uh, you got Matthias Slice um, for AJ Foyt Racing, and uh, we haven't really seen him show too much on the ovals yet. Obviously, he's only had uh, Phoenix to show for. Uh, I think he should be good to make it in the field. I think A.J. Foyt's gotten a little bit better over the off season, and they should be in good shape to make it. But we do see them often struggle at Indy. Uh, and then you got the guys out of the Dale Coin stable, which is going to be really unpredictable. Forday should obviously be totally fine. Um, but then you have guys like Pietro Fittipaldi, who we don't know how he's going to do at Indy because – we just haven't seen him race a lot on big high speed ovals. We saw him at Phoenix and he did show quite a bit of speed and he does have a little bit of uh, short track background to him. Uh, if you look back a few years back in 2012, he ran uh, Den- Denny Hamlin's short track showdown at, I believe at the time it was at um, Richmond. So he does have a little bit of oval experience, um, but we don't know quite how he'll do when it gets to Indy. And, and I really do think Pippa Mann, based on the experience that she's built up at Indy, I think she'll be okay to make the field. It'll be really, really close, but I think she can do it. Joining us also uh, to get ready for the NASCAR segment coming up here in just a moment. But we'll bring him on to talk a little IndyCar with us. And that's Steve Wilson, editor and publisher of uh, SpeedwayDigest.com. And certainly uh, we'll be representing him and working and partnering with him out at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway this year uh, to cover the Indianapolis uh, 500 uh, for both the balance and Speedway Digest. Uh Steve, how you doing, sir? Uh, we're talking a little IndyCar, getting ready for the Indy Grand Prix, and certainly IndyCar in the month of May before we get into the NASCAR talk. Any thoughts on IndyCar this year? No, because I haven't watched any of it, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> well, I, we can understand that you're, you're simply uh, busy. So we're going to take a break. We'll come back for, uh, with some NASCAR talk. Matthew, do you want to stick around with some NASCAR talk, or do you got to go? I can stick around. There's obviously Talladega, and looking back to Daytona and the way that race ended, I think there's going to be a lot of talk as to what happens uh, coming up this weekend and a lot of questions, I think, that need to be answered. And I think there's a few things the fans want to see uh, that they saw at Daytona but they don't, didn't like. So I think ultimately a lot of questions to be answered looking ahead to tomorrow and what this means for the future of restrictor plate racing in the sport. Absolutely, Dega. Baby Jesus, that's right. Shake and bake. She's so. We used to have. We used to have. I lost. It. I don't know what happened to it. We used to have a bit every time we would talk about. And Steve remembers this. Every time we would talk about Denica Patrick, I'd play that Talladega Nights bit uh, soundbite. It said, "Her yeah, ass he did is so that hot to me too." Stop. <laughs> so we'll be right back. My name is Tom Mark with El Presidente. Uh, our executive producer, Rick Riggin, is in the war room monitoring social media. So if you want to tweet us or if you want to give us a call on 917-889-8516. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. <laughs> 
Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Half hour in the books, taking to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, breaking down uh, last week at uh, Barber, and certainly as we get ready for the Indianapolis um, uh, 500 and the Indianapolis Grand Prix here in the month of May, just right around the corner. And Tyson Lautenschlager uh, joined us a, a little bit as well uh, to talk uh, a little IndyCar. It's time to get into our NASCAR segment. Before we do that, let's bring in our executive producer who's monitoring the war room. Rick, are you doing okay? How's things going on social media today? Doing very well, very well. Funny gifts, uh, show links, phone numbers to the show. Definitely uh, uh, sending out the message to uh, call in and chat with our strong NASCAR panel right now for the next 15, 20 minutes. 
Absolutely, and we'll do that. Uh, Rick is monitoring the war room for us, our social media. Certainly, Rick has did a lot for us in the, in the short time that he's been our executive uh, producer. Been a part of the balance for a long time, uh, but it was time to, to kind of move and uh, give him more responsibility, uh, or should I say take less, uh, more off of my plate and put more onto his plate, or however that works. But joining us now uh, from the great state of the Commonwealth of Virginia is uh, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. It's Dega Week. Weekend, baby, it's Dega weekend. I know we got a lot to talk about today with NASCAR. Matt Kenseth returns, uh, Bain and, and Arca being bought, and that, that's right, Dega. So uh, take it over, Steve Wilson. What say you? <laughs> what say I say? A lot of things this week. I think if it could happen this <laughs> week, it did happen this week. Uh, you know, silly season used to be for the off season. Well, not so much anymore. I mean, we can have craziness happen in the middle of the week, in the middle of the season. Um, you know, Roush Raj Fenway Racing and uh, Matt Kenseth pairing back up for select races again this year. The first race for him is going to be in Kansas in just a couple of weeks. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, uh, you know, they're they're taking Bain out of the car for a few races. Bain has something about, I think it's uh, 18 of the rest of the season has a sponsorship for him, and they're unfunded or unsponsored for the remaining. And, uh, you know, while Kenseth's schedule has uh, yet to be, excuse me, totally determined, um, I would expect to see, um, you know, him in the car a fair amount. Now, you know, yesterday, Bain did address the situation, and Bain found out about it like the rest of us found out about it, uh, uh, you know, through media reports. And uh, yesterday, he kind of addressed it. He said that he's uh, healthy, he's he's capable, he, um, you know, he's feeling good, but, uh, you know, uh, he really didn't have much comment beyond that. Uh, you know, it sounds like, you know, he may be uh, determining his next steps, but I'm not going to go out there and try and, uh, you know, put words in his mouth or anybody else's mouth. But I do think that, you know, he may be reevaluating his situation over at Ralph Fenway Racing. Um, he's very noncommittal in, in, in his uh, very short, brief statement about what the future would hold for him. And, in fact, he really didn't take any questions except from TV. Uh, and, again, with them, it was very noncommittal on, you know, only thing that he would commit to is that he's looking forward to being in the car this weekend at Talladega and trying to to win. So, you know, what that means beyond that, I don't know. But, you know, Roush Fenway Racing and Matt Kenseth and Jack Roush and everybody over there, um, <clears throat> they're looking to get their cars back, you know, competitive again. And they haven't been really competitive over the last several years. Um, they fell from prominence over, you know, the last decade or so. And aside from some uh, super speedway wins with Ricky Stenhouse Jr., they really haven't had a whole lot of success anywhere else. So we'll go on over to you, uh, Tyson Lautenschlager of OnPitRoad.com. I know you cover a lot of NASCAR uh, as well. As Steve said, this was one newsworthy week for NASCAR. It really was. Uh, kind of like Steve said, there was a bit of everything that went on this week, and uh it was, you know, at the beginning of the week on, on maybe Sunday, if you would have said um, Matt Kenseth was coming back, it'd be like, yeah, okay, I don't think so. Um, but, in fact, that's what's happening, and, and Matt's going to take over that six car um, for at least part of this season. And Kenseth coming back to Roush, it's kind of a, a reunion of sorts. Obviously, that's where he started his career, and now he's going to get back there. He's going to get to drive the six car, which is something that he wanted to do from the beginning. He was... Uh, he, he made a joke after that announcement was released that he was uh, 
originally going to drive the six after Mark Martin had retired. However, as we know, has Mark Martin really ever retired? We don't really know that. Uh, so now <laughs> that's a valid question. Now we got uh, Matt back in the in the seat with Roche Fenway, and it's um, honestly I would have thought we wouldn't have seen Matt back in a race car, but we have him back in the Cup Series, and uh, you can't help but feel a little bit bad for Trevor Bain. I think this situation, it's a performance-based situation, and he hasn't been performing to what uh, Roche Fenway would have liked. However, I think uh, the PR side of things probably didn't handle things all that greatly because I think there um, there should have been a way to let Trevor know that you know things were being looked into, you might be pushed out, um, because I don't think this was a very ideal situation for anyone. So we'll go over to you, Matthew Embry, uh, at, uh, from Popular Open Wheel Now, our official IndyCar contributor. But I know that you guys uh, follow a lot of NASCAR over there. Uh, certainly, we had some action on the track uh, uh, with uh, Brain Fart. Bad wreck yesterday uh, down at Talladega. But to get us started on the Talladega talk, and we'll get back over to Steve and break down this weekend's race in Dega. Go ahead, uh, Matt. All right. Yeah, I tell you, it was a ugly wreck. Uh, obviously, a lot of damaged cars and a lot of people having to patch cars up for qualifying today and then obviously for the Geico 500 tomorrow. But uh, Jamie McMurray had the worst of it, flipped the car, and uh, I tell you what, the fact that he was able to walk out and talk with NASCAR media, in fact, I've got the clip here. Well, I, knew it, I think I blew a left rear tire out. And, um, you know, when you're going that fast and you get turned sideways, you, you kind of know someone's going to hit you. Um, but it's crazy, like how quiet the car gets. And I, I've been racing forever, and I've never, I've never done the the roll like that before. And um, I just kept my eyes closed. I'm like, oh, I didn't really want to see what was going to happen. I opened my eyes a couple of times, but you you can't tell what's up, and you can't really tell where to brace yourself. Um, and I just in my mind was like, I just hope it lands on upright so that I can get out. And trust me, guys, there is no justice as to what that is like when that car takes off. Because these accidents, these big accidents, seems like it goes forever and ever and ever. And guys, drivers will tell you all the time, this is what they don't like about restrictor plate races. These kind of wrecks, not only most of the time they're not your fault, but most of the time it just seems like you're hitting everything and everything. And because these cars are going so fast, it takes forever to get the car to actually stop and all this drama to stop. And I tell you, it it was a wild ride. It's good to see Jamie get out of there, but, boy, it's going to be a heavy uh, bill this week already for guys. And we already talked about these specialized cars, even though, yeah, they're trying to, you know, make a car that's, you know, across the board they can run it anywhere. They still run a special car here for these type of races, Daytona and Talladega, and it's already going to be a costly bill for guys like McMurray, Ty Dillon, uh, Jermaine, Stewart. Uh, but uh, ultimately right now I think the bigger question is coming ahead looking to, you know, tomorrow, and I'll throw this out to Ty and to Steve, I think we need to have a just finish. Uh, we don't need a situation where, you know, contact and an accident determines who wins this race like we did at Daytona a couple months ago. We really need to have a just finish and a finish that is right with the world, I think, right now to get people's eyes more on, you know, the competitive natures of what we like about restrictor plate racing than what we don't like about it. I think that's in the best interest of the sport right now. So be able to get through, you know, and have a clean finish where everyone's getting back to the line, no contact, no accidents, et cetera. I think that's the best thing that could happen uh, looking ahead to Sunday. 
Yeah, absolutely, and thanks for the, that, that clip. I actually had it and couldn't find it, so thank you for uh, providing that uh, for us, uh, Matt. Uh, Steve, we'll go to you, man. This was a huge wreck, uh, and I know you guys were all over it. Uh, Jamie McMurray goes airborne, and now what we're seeing is that NASCAR is changing the size of the restrictor plate to kind of feed off of what uh, uh, Matt was just telling us and help us understand, hey, uh, you know, we got some issues. It could be some possible safety issues with these uh, restrictor plate racing. Go ahead, uh, uh, Steve. Well, yesterday when this happened, it was uh, estimated that Jamie McMurray was doing somewhere around between 208 and 210. uh, Sorry, uh, Brian Newman actually was involved in that rack, too, and during his media availability, he did have some words as to the safety and how fast these cars were going out there. In response to what happened yesterday, uh, you're right. NASCAR has reduced the size of the plate down. They've reduced it from seven-eighths of an inch to 55, 64 of an inch. And this will slow the cars down to somewhere in the 202, 203 range. Um, you know, we've we've seen in the past that these incidents are and continue to happen. Um, this happens at, almost every Daytona, almost every Talladega, and this is why they're some of the most popular races that people still continue to come to day in and day out outside of the short tracks. Um, you know, these wrecks, these high-speed, um, you know, maneuvering in and out of three and four and five wide in some of these corners and down the straightaways, um, you know, it, it's very popular among people. And, you know, unfortunately from, from the other side of the aspect is, is that, yes, there there's going to be accidents. Yes, there's going to be um, people or cars getting up into the air. And, you know, NASCAR has tried everything they, they can do from putting, um, you know, uh, air containers in the front of the car around the hood to try and move the air in different directions and move the car, move the air from outside of the car in the cockpit um, and make it flow through so it'll keep on the air. They put fins on the tops and backs of the cars. Um, you know, all these have been safety measures over the years that they've continued to do to keep these cars on the ground, but, you know, I always like to say if it can happen in racing, it will happen in racing. And I mean, we saw it yesterday. There were some very fast speeds, as is already said. Going forward, however, though, for tomorrow and today, I mean, there's still going to be a lot of competitiveness. So you're going to see a lot of these wrecks continue to occur just because of how close that these run together. I mean, the last time we ran caution-free at one of these events has been many, many years. And, uh, you know, I I, I don't think that you're going to see that. I mean, just the competitive nature. You've got the dash for cash, $100,000 today. Um, and then tomorrow, obviously, with the Geico 500 there, it's going to continue to be just as competitive week in and week out that we've continued to see at some of these uh, races. And as far as, you know, we coming back to green, getting a, a checker flag, I'd like to be optimistic in this fact, but, you know, that's typically, you know, when the heat starts to pick up and we start to get into these multi-car incidents. You look ahead, Steve, Steve Wilson, that situation. Uh, Steve, with the situation that happened yesterday, are we going to start seeing, you know, with the rule change, are we going to start seeing maybe stricter enforcement, like, for instance, the no-fly zones with the out-of-bounds line? We used to see situations where guys, if they went below the line barely, they get penalized. Could we possibly see scenarios where if you just touch it or graze it, that there could be a penalty enforced because of that, because NASCAR is trying to limit these kind of accidents? You know, I think NASCAR in those situations are already, it's a, it's, it's a double-edged sword in the fact that, you know, they do have cameras, they do have TV, they do have officials all the way around the track. 
And, you know, unfortunately, they don't catch everything out there, just as in any sport, they don't catch anything and everything that it continues to occur. If I, if I have to say that they're going to be extremely strict on this, I think that they're going to play this the same way that they've played it in the past. Uh, if people are getting aggressive, if people are putting pe- uh, people below the line, pushing them below the line, then they could draw the penalty themselves and not necessarily the person that, you know, went below the line. I think they're going to be. I think they're going to enforce these in the ways that they've done in the past. And I think if it does get to a point where it is aggressive, and we've seen aggressive racing at some of these events, I think then that's when we'll start seeing the more, um, you know, not as clear cut penalties, but this is more of a safety factor penalty, keeping getting these people off the track before you know something does occur. Tie your take. We're talking with Steve Wilson. Uh, I'm sorry, Matt. We're talking with Steve Wilson of uh, Speedway Digest, Matthew Embry of uh, 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 Popular Open Wheel, and also Tyson Lautenschlager of uh, uh, OnPitRoad.com. I'll get it straight. Tyson, a little fun today with Xfinity Race. The Cup drivers will be doing the broadcast. How fun is that? Talk with us a little bit about today's Xfinity Race, sir. Yeah, the the drivers only broadcast that Fox does once a year is always fun, and uh, I think the fans always enjoy that, but we should be in, um, as Steve put it, we should be in for a really good race. You know, it is a dash for cash race, which means there's going to be four guys going for a hundred grand. And they're trying to lock in their spot to race for a hundred grand again next week at Dover. And we have no cup drivers in the field, which is something that the fans are always pleading for. The, la- the last few weeks that we've seen these dash for cash races, we've seen, um, sort of unusually good racing out of the Xfinity series. We don't see a lot of, good racing up towards the front solely because we do have a lot of those cup drivers in the field and they kind of take the spotlight um, from the Xfinity guys, but we don't have that, uh, which could make for a really uh, entertaining race, a really exciting race. And it could also make for a really crash filled race, which a lot of fans do like to see. Um, I'm hoping, you know, we had the the airborne incident yesterday and I'm hoping we see all cars stay on the ground today um, but we do have, as we uh, talked about previously, uh, NASCAR did uh, reduce the restrictor plates on the cars, which should slow them down a bit. And I remember um, just a few weeks ago, we were on the balance and we were talking about uh, IndyCar and, and the cars getting faster. And, and we were talking about um, you don't need high speeds for a good race. And, and I'm hoping uh, that continues to um, be proven because we don't need these cars going upwards of 215 uh, to have a good race, and it, it we can go 200 miles an hour and still have a good race at Talladega. So I'm hoping um, the reduction of this uh, restrictor plate proves that today. Um, as for Matt was talking about the yellow line rule, and uh, basically the rule is if two wheels go below the yellow line and you advance your position, that's an automatic penalty, and that's usually the only – well, it should be an automatic penalty um, – as long as NASCAR deems that you weren't forced below the yellow line. And that's kind of how the rule works. So I don't think we'll see anyone, you know, graze that yellow line and NASCAR automatically calls a penalty because in the the rule book, it clearly states you have to have two wheels below the line and advance your position. Basically it is kind of a NASCAR gray area and they, they decide they pick and choose when they're going to enforce that rule, but it should only be when you're advancing your position below the line. 
Steve, uh, let's get with you, and we want to make sure that we get a, a, a full preview of tomorrow's race. And as we've talked about already today, and Talladega is known for it, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when the big one happens. Talk with us a little bit about what you think about the big one. I think a lot of fans love to see the big one, let's, let's admit that. Of course, we don't want anybody hurt, but we would love to see the big one. Uh, but certainly it's catastrophic for, for race teams. Uh, talk with us a little bit about tomorrow's Monster Energy race out in Talladega. Who to look for? The Dark Horses, the X's and the O's. Break down Talladega 2018. I think you just have to continue uh, the dominance in, in the past over several seasons or so with Ford Performance and the cars and the and and the engines that they're bringing. I mean, there's a lot of people in that stable that uh, have a that can win. So Ricky Stenhouse Jr. won multiple times on restricted plates last year. Joe Logano, Joey Logano, um, Brad Keselowski. I mean, over at Penske Racing, um, you know Ryan Blaney has shown a lot of speed on these restricted plate style races when he was with Wood Brothers Racing. Showed a lot of speed there in uh, Daytona also. Um, you know, it, it, it just, you know, that camp and those people that, you know, putting together not only the cars, but the engines, you know, have um, picked something up on the restricted plates over the years and they continue their dominance. I don't think that, the, you know, outside of that, um, you've got to be very selective in the fact of who you're looking at. Um, you know, Martin Trosh Jr. has been, you know, one of these guys that can kind of do it, but, you know, has not been, you know, as um you know, he's he's not been, you know, at the top of the field, the cream of the crop, like we see him on the 1.5-mile track. Um, you know, Richard Childress racing, they, they've got Austin Dillon that's already won this year. But, I, you know, whether he can come back and he can back that up with another restricted play win, um, I'm kind of, you know, uh, sitting on the fence. I, I don't think that he can do it. I think that he's going to need some more speed. I think he's going to um, need some more experience in these these events. Um, <clears throat> uh, then, you know, with Joe Gibbs racing again with those guys, they've, they've not performed very well, um, in any traditional manner or, you know, any consistency. And, uh, lastly, you know, when we start talking about Jimmy Johnson, he is definitely not a fan or in favor with these, uh, restrict plate, uh, restrict plate tracks. Um, he's wrecked out of pretty much every single one over the uh, of the last three or four seasons um, with um, very little luck. So um, don't look for him to come to the front. Don't look for him to uh, make but so many moves throughout the race. I think for him, it's going to be about maintaining um, because you know right now he's already in a fight. It is staying to stop sixteen and get into the to the uh, playoffs later this year. So I don't would not foresee him trying to make any bold moves today or tomorrow. Sorry. All right, guys, let's uh, go around the panel here and get our final words of wisdom on uh, either IndyCar or NASCAR, whatever you got to add. We'll start with you, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. You can find him on Twitter, at Matt Embry. Matt, what say you, sir? I'll be curious to see today and tomorrow how many laggers are going to be at the back just trying to stay out of trouble, keep their nose clean, because that may be the way to win this. If it gets wild as we think it might today in the Xfinity race with all these you know, inexperienced drivers, that might be the way to go, and it may be the way to go in Cup, because I think if, you know, X-axis take out majority of the contenders, it may not be, you know, the best idea to try to win those segments, because if guys are going to drive aggressively at the end of each segment, we have the possibility of a big wreck, you know, possibly as many as three times uh, tomorrow. So you may be better off, you know, just saving your ammunition for the end of it when, you know, there's limited cars left and maybe a bunch of walking wounded, and that may be the way to win the race. 
Now, as far as winning the race, uh, I think uh, one guy you got to look at has got to be Ricky Stenhouse, in my opinion. Tyson Lautenschlager of OddPitRoad.com, our favorite Canadian colonist from uh, north of the the border there. And also, real quickly, want to give our thoughts and prayers. Uh, I know that you guys had a... a, uh, an incident up there in Toronto this uh, this week, and uh, so our thoughts and prayers go to Canada as well. Wanted to make sure I got that out for you, and certainly feel free to comment on that if you want to. Uh, Tyson, you can find him at Tyson Lot Twenty Three. Tyson, what say you, sir? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I think this is going to definitely be a forward weekend, just as Steve was saying. If you look at the uh, every restrictor plate race uh, last year, you had a forward winning. You had Kurt Busch in the Daytona Five Hundred. The uh, Talladega in the spring and July Daytona. Ricky Stenhouse won both of those and Brad Keselowski winning in the fall. Ford just seems to have the engine package and the aerodynamics package figured out at these plate tracks. Even going back to the 500 this year, we had uh, uh, Eric Almarola was half a lap away from winning. Ryan Blaney pretty much dominated that race. These Fords have it figured out and they're probably going to dominate again and be there at the end. The great thing about restrictor plate racing is anything can happen. Anyone can get there if you're at the if you're there at the end. You have a chance of winning. Um, so really, it can go either way. Uh, one thing I, I was interested in when when Steve had commented on this is the Joe Gibbs cars. They typically don't perform all that well uh, at the plate tracks. But what they do have going for them is they work together like none other. Those Toyotas will stick together and run together for basically the whole race. And sometimes that can really bite them in the butt. But sometimes it could really pay off, and I think we, could, we should look for that this weekend, see if those Toyotas continue to do that, stay together, and maybe they can make it to the front at the end of the race. Uh, as for a winner pick this weekend, um, I'm going with basically anyone that's in the field because we know anything can happen. <laughs> it could be anybody. <laughs> Absolutely. Go ahead, Tyson. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead, buddy. No, that's that's basically it. But thank you uh, for letting me uh, address the Toronto incident. I live about 20 minutes away from where that happened, so it was definitely a very scary incident. But um, hoping you know that we don't see anything like that again, and and that uh, everyone will, um, everyone that is recovering in hospital will be okay moving forward. Absolutely, and again, our thoughts and prayers uh, go to you guys and your, our, our uh, favorite Canadians up there. Uh, we'll start with you, uh, Steve uh, Wilson. Uh, final words of wisdom. What, what are you working on this week? And I know people can find you at Speedway Digest. You're all over NASCAR and everything that's going on with NASCAR, ARCA, uh, what have you. Uh, what, what say you, Steve? Uh, what are you guys working on this week? And, and obviously, uh, what are your thoughts on Dega? Um, I think pick a Ford, any Ford in the field. They all have this figured out over the last couple of seasons, even more than that. Um, they've been traditionally very fast. I don't think that there's a Ford in the field that you can't even look at. Uh, even front, or front, uh, front row motorsports, I mean, even those guys won just a couple of years ago, and they're just considered a mid-pack team. Um, but, you know, this is a great equalizer. Um, you know, a, a, these mid-pack teams that may not perform every single week, can ha- have the opportunity to get up front, run up front, and keep the field at bay. So, um, you know, at the end of the day tomorrow, I think uh, look at a Ford, any Ford. Um, I'm not going to pick one over the other. Uh, but, you know, I think it's very interesting. The only thing that we haven't really covered is ARCA. Uh, you know, ARCA being purchased and acquired by NASCAR, this will take over in 2020. Over the next 18 months or so, NASCAR is going to continue to formulate 
um, how they are going to integrate them totally into the NASCAR package. There's a lot of uh, talk and uh, potential that, you know, they've talked about the K&N series. It would be nice if they took a K&N series car and an ARCA series car and made them the same car in the future so that these teams and these up-and-coming drivers can run on a variety of tracks over multiple different series without having to go with very expensive cars between two different um, rate, two different series. I, I think it's a good combination. It'll be a good pairing. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Arca said yesterday that they're going to continue to go to some of these traditional tracks, these dirt tracks, Salem, Duquin, et cetera. Um, they will continue to be a part of it in the future. Um, what that means for the actual track itself, however, you know, there are still some questions because Arca does own these tracks. Um, NASCAR has not traditionally gone into the racetrack business outside of their ISC ventures. They do own Iowa, but that is their first that they've ever done. Um, could we see them uh, own these tracks in the future? We don't know yet. There's a lot of questions to be asked, but I think in, in going forward over the next 18 months, I think that we'll see a lot of good things coming out of that. Um, hopefully tomorrow is a safe race, and uh, we don't see any more incidents like we saw with Jamie McMurray uh, yesterday afternoon in practice. All right, guys, that's going to have to uh, wrap it up for us on our NASCAR and IndyCar segment. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, uh, Steve, uh, where, uh, where can people find your work and your masterpiece, sir? You can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com, forward slash Speedway Digest, and SpeedwayDigest.com. We've got Tim Despain out there this weekend. We'll also be doing a special broadcast. Um, I think they're doing it later on today, so you can check him out at TD Lineman on Twitter. Um, they'll be there at the track, and they'll be doing our special broadcast later on today. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Tyson, what, what are you working on this week? Where can people find your work and masterpieces, sir? Yeah, you can always go to onpitroad.com to see everything we're working on. We've got a new writer over there, Ricky. Uh, he's been doing a great job putting out a lot of uh, pieces recently, so you can go there, check out his work. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at TysonLot23 uh, and follow On Pit Road on Twitter at On Pit Road. All right, thanks, Tyson. Have yourself a good weekend, sir. Thanks, you too. Matthew Embry, popular open wheel. Uh, popular open wheel and our official IndyCar contributor. Uh, what are you guys working on? Where, where can people find your work and masterpieces, sir? A lot of takes on both our websites, popularopenwheel.com and popularspeed.com. Uh, obviously, myself, I'll be looking ahead to the open test. I'll have a preview of that coming up either today or tomorrow. And then, obviously, uh, follow popularspeed.com because we have the Talladega race covered. Steve Wade and Ashley McCoven have information on that event. And uh, like we said, it should be a very interesting and unpredictable race uh, today and tomorrow. Uh, thank you, Matt. And you have yourself a good race weekend, sir. Anytime, Tom. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up our racing segment. We'll be right back. Myself, executive producer Rick Riggin, and Ed Kratz is standing by, uh, our official NFL contributor, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, we have had a week uh, beginning on Thursday. We had a great Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Uh, great draft special. I'll get it right. On Thursday night, had a great round one. And so we're going to be recapping round two and get, get you ready for today's action as well as the NFL uh, draft is still underway. And we'll be talking with Mo a little bit later on from the BS Sports Show. My name's Tom Marquis, El Presidente. We'll be right back.
Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Do you have our caller back? I, I understand that he has a very important question about the Super Bowl. Uh, go ahead, caller. What's, what's your question about the Super Bowl? Uh, hi, my name's Joe. I'm calling from Plainfield, Indiana. Um, I was wondering, you know, there's been a lot of talk about what the Super Bowl may be, what it, you know, what it may not be, what it could be, all these sorts of things about the Super Bowl, and I think that's great. I think it's important. Um, I did have one question. I've got this container, it's uh, large, it's orange, round, um, it's got some bats on it, some skulls, um, it's what we put the, uh, the candy in for the kids on Halloween, it's about, hold on now, I've got my tape measure here, yeah, it's about 15 and a no, 15 and three quarter inches in diameter, I was wondering, Tom, now does this qualify as a Super Bowl, or are there different definitions on what might qualify that? I think All right, and welcome back to The Balance. My name's Tom Mark with El Presidente. One hour in the books. Thank you to Matthew Embry uh, and uh, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, Tyson Lunchlogger of OnPitRoad.com, all breaking down IndyCar and NASCAR for us all last hour. But it only gets better from here. We're going to second hour. We recap a great round one, and we had a great uh, draft special. Uh, certainly had a lot of fun with our panel uh, that we did. Uh, Join us now back in from the war room, Rick Riggin, our executive producer. How is you, sir? Pretty good, Tom. Hey, round two this morning. Let's get started. Let's get going. Let's get going. And it helped us get going. It sounds like he's on the go. And that is Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and our official NFL contributor. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm great. But listen, it's not round two. I know I know. Rick has been busy, uh, you know, with the draft. And I know he was a <laughs> Watching those Braves, uh, Braves get tuned up by the Phillies last night. That's right. Uh, but <laughs> round two, <laughs> round two, my friend was yesterday. Today, 
is round four, five, six, is, and seven. Four rounds. I, of the I meant uh, I meant round two for the show this morning, Ed. Oh, okay. I oh, <laughs> nice uh, recovery, good, good save, Rick. Nice yeah, recovery, nice Rick. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, okay. Well, let's, I tell you what. A lot of us have been kind of busy. Uh, certainly, uh, the the all the, a lot of the attention, if you will, was in round one. Uh, kind of recap what we've seen happen through the draft. Obviously, what we saw was Baker Mayfield uh, go as uh, round uh, in the first round overall round, but before the second round, a lot of people have mixed feelings. Uh, for that, as we know, on Thursday we had Adam Jimmy and Big Homer uh, for uh, the Cleveland Browns. But certainly, uh, I think fans are happy with it. But there's a mixed bag of emotions around Baker Mayfield. This was a, ri- a risky pick, let's be honest, Ed. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, Baker Mayfield size is a question mark. You know, he's just about six feet tall, and um, you know, you wonder if he'll be able to see over you know, some of those taller linemen that are going to be pass blocking for him. Uh, but there's no questioning his accuracy. He showed good accuracy at Oklahoma. Um, but, yeah, I, it was surprising that everybody thought Sam Darnold would be the pick there. So, uh, you know, we'll see. The, the Browns, to me, kind of made a questionable pick, you know, even in the second round. So, uh, but, you know, all these picks come with question marks. There's some safe ones. I thought the Colts made a great pick uh, with Quentin Nelson, very nice safe pick. It will bolster the interior of that line. And then they came back again in the second round and took another guard. Uh, got to love that, man. That's that's what you got to do to keep Andrew Luck healthy. And, uh, yeah, that's what the Colts are doing. So, uh, but, yeah, the, the first round, I mean, Mayfield was one of those four – there were four quarterbacks taken in the top ten. That's never been done before in the NFL draft. So, I don't think all of them are going to make it. I think there will be some misses among those four. It's just a question of, uh, you know, who they're going to be. Will it be Darnold? Will it be – Josh Rosen, uh, Josh Allen, or, or uh, Baker Mayfield. We're just going to have to wait and see. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, and certainly being a Colts homer, we're based here in Indianapolis. Uh, it was a great pick for the Indianapolis Colts. I, I think that, that that was a step forward. I think it showed a lot to the fans. Uh, they brought him into the complex yesterday for a presser. Uh, certainly uh, looks like he's got the size to make it happen. Uh, he is one big mammoth dude. Uh, Rick Reagan, you're very familiar with Quentin Nelson, uh, obviously, at Notre Dame. Right, and, and Ed knows this better than we could ever possibly do uh, could because you know that's his job but there are no guarantees in the draft but i do feel like the colts went out and did and got themselves a guaranteed multi-time uh, multi-time pro bowler and all pro uh he's my favorite pick and not just saying because he's quentin nelson and i'm a notre dame fan uh, he's my favorite pick out of anybody else in that, in that first round okay okay ed let's go back to you here let's talk a little bit about the the Buffalo Bills, I mean, they're making some noise. Uh, talk with us about what we know about what they've done in day one, day two, and overall I think you've got to give them a, a passing grade. Yeah, well, let's start with the passing. Uh, that's the big question mark to me is the passing. They, draft, they were the ones that took Josh Allen, and, uh, you know, can he lift that completion percentage up above 60%? Now, you know, look, completion percentage is one measurable of a quarterback, uh, you know, Carson Wentz, the Eagles' uh, terrific quarterback, mentioned uh, when he met with us a couple weeks ago uh, that he wants to get his completion percentage up there. It's only at about 61%, and he wants to get that higher. So, uh, And he's having a fine, you know, he's had a fine first two years. So, you know, maybe there's a lot being made of Allen's completion percentage only being at 56%. Uh, 
Um, but to me, for the Bills, that that's the big question mark. I mean, I like, you know, I like some of the other uh, draft picks they have, and you know, right now I'm kind of drawing a blank as to who who else they got. I don't know if you have uh, uh, have them in front of you there, but uh, you know, I, I the, the quarterback selection to me was the biggest question mark. And you know what? It's good to see. The, I would like to see the Bills be good and uh, you know compete in that AFC or yeah, you know, the AFC East with the Patriots. Give the Patriots a good run and. Uh, somebody has to rise up and unseat them eventually, and maybe it'll be the Bills. Let's talk a little bit about the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, obviously, you're a beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, a Super Bowl champion. Uh, so certainly I think you guys were drafted for depth, if you will. Uh, but uh, certainly uh, uh, a, give us a report and a, and a grade on the Philadelphia Eagles so far in the NFL draft. Well, we all sat around in Philadelphia and waited for them to make the last pick of the first round. And then about 15 minutes before they made that pick, they traded out. So, you know, I was talking to some of my colleagues at the facility, and I said, this is kind of like writing or reporting on a 0-0 soccer game. Uh, you know, what are we going to write about now? <laughs> traded out, and here it is, you know, 11.45, and we all have to have stories filed, at a, you know, by midnight. But uh, – Anyway, the Eagles made a move out. It was a good value move, I think. They got a second-round pick next year from the Baltimore Ravens uh, to get out of that spot, move backwards. They flip-flopped picks, uh, you know, in, in the draft as well. Uh, the second round, I should say. Uh, so it was a good move for the Eagles, I think, to get a second-round pick next year because, like you said, they were really just drafting for depth. Uh, you know, they have a roster that is pretty set, and even Stefan Wisniewski, uh, the Eagles' guard, tweeted out afterward he goes the Eagles pick a 32 now nah, we're good we don't need anybody right in the first round we're loaded so uh, you know they are they have a good roster so they're looking at depth so in the second round after they got uh, you know a second round pick from Baltimore this uh, you know in this trade uh, or I'm not Baltimore but uh, yeah Baltimore uh, they, they ended up taking a tight end Dallas Goddard uh, who will replace Trey Burton who left in free agency through that touchdown pass uh, in the Super Bowl to Nick Foles, and that's a play that will be famous forever. Uh, but Burton left for Chicago. Brent Selleck uh, was released, probably going to retire. So they drafted a kid, Dallas Goddard, from South Dakota State, uh, who, who can be another weapon uh, in that Eagles arsenal, and I thought that was a great pick for them. Hey, Rick, let's talk, uh, guys, let's talk a little bit about the New York Giants. The New York Giants' number uh, two pick overall uh, went with uh, Penn State stud, Saquon Barkley, uh, and then, of course, uh, I believe they also picked up Lorenzo Carter, linebacker for Georgia. Uh, what uh, signal, Rick, is um, the, the Giants sending – well, I think they're, they're sending the fact that they're, they're, they're behind Eli Manning. They're not concerned about Eli Manning leaving. A lot of people think that with the Jets uh, uh, drafting Darnold, uh, that that's going to be a huge thorn in their butt where they're going to have to look across city uh, for the next few years and watch themselves get beat by the Jets because they did not draft Darnold. What are your thoughts? Saquon Barkley, number two overall, and I know they picked up a linebacker out of Georgia. Uh, Rick? Yeah, you're exactly right. It, it just means that they're still all in on uh, Eli Manning, uh, putting a, another dynamic piece uh, with him along with Odell Beckham Jr., uh, they're they're going to try to make one more run here at the uh, you know Eli's got two Super Bowl titles. Uh, they're going to try to make one more run run at that while they have him. And uh, you know, add back on the uh, Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. Uh, we saw last year uh, when the Bills made the playoffs and guys were showing up in their Mexican 
wrestling luchador masks and body slamming each other through tables. If Josh Allen can bring more wins to Buffalo uh, and we get more highlights like that on the mothership and other, other highlight shows, I think that is a win for football, a win for us sports fans, and probably a win for America all the way around. <laughs> so, so you like the you like that WWE? Uh, oh, that was uh, great. Football is that it? Yeah, <laughs> they they played down in Houston, right during that game. What what is going on out in the parking lot at SR uh, NRG Stadium in Houston? I, yeah, I think yeah, I think that's where it was. Yeah, um, but you know, I, I don't think Buffalo fans care about that. They just want to see the guy we take him to the playoffs and oh, right. <laughs> and you know win a Super Bowl. You know, and then he can do whatever he wants. Uh, but if we know, get more high flying, more high flying Buffalo Luchador wrestling fans uh, <laughs> into the parking lot, so we get those highlights. That, that's that is great all the way around. Yeah, right. I agree. And uh, the 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 Bills Mafia, if you will. Hey, uh, Ed, I want to talk with you a little bit about the New England Patriots, and I think we see a lot of craziness going on with the Patriots. Uh, Brady's back, Gronk is back, Belichick is back. The feud continues. Um, a lot of people did not like the fact, I thought it was funny myself, but a lot of people did not like the fact that um, Gronk was uh, basically, uh, he, he, he had some sort of paid sponsor event that he did with a motocross or something, and they were asking if he'd come back, I'm going to be as fast as a, as a motocross racer. In other words, there just seems to be a lot of uh, people are just a little uneasy with the New England Patriots. What's happening with their future? Is their dynasty about to fall apart? Help us uh, break down the New England Patriots as you see them in 2018. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of drama, you know, around that team. And uh, I said last year, I guess in February, when for the Super Bowl, I think I came on this show and I said I think this game has the potential to be a passing of the torch uh, to perhaps the Philadelphia Eagles or to another team in the NFL. The, you know, the Patriots' run to me is over. Tom Brady, there was a question whether he'd return. You know, that story sort of surfaced that, you know, he was thinking about not returning. He's 41 years old. Um, you know, realistically, how much more can he play? And, uh, you know, New England did not draft a quarterback, I don't believe, in these first three rounds unless I missed something. So, you know, who, who's, who are they going to groom to fill in? They had Jimmy Garoppolo. They kind of came away to San Francisco. But, uh, you know, to me – it's the it's the beginning of the end. It may even already be the end. Uh, you know, they do have a terrific team. They, I think they made some pretty good moves in the offseason. And, you know, they still have Belichick. And, uh, you know, they still do have Brady, even though he's 41. And Gronkowski's got all those uh, concussion uh, issues. And uh, But they did lose Matt Patricia to uh, Rick's Lions. Uh, so their defense, you have to wonder how that will be under a new coordinator. And, um, you know, to me, I just think the Patriots window is, is closed, if not closed at this point. But you have to wonder who in the AFC is poised to rise up and, and be that team. It could be the Jaguars. I like some of the things they did in the draft. Uh, of course, they had a terrific season last year. Maybe it's the Steelers. Uh, you know, Big Ben's getting a little bit older, and they drafted uh, Mason Rudolph to be his replacement. And, uh, you know, he may play sooner rather than later because I don't think Ben's been able to get through his full season healthy in quite some time. And, uh, but, you know, maybe it's the Steelers, the Jaguars, maybe it's the Raiders with Gruden, but, you know, maybe the Bills, like we talked about, maybe they've done enough. Maybe Josh Allen is going to be that guy. But uh, I think their window is closing. But now the next question is, is you know, who's going to rise up and be that team in the AFC? 
What's going to be the Indianapolis Colts, of course? Duh, come on, Ed. Well, there you go. Uh, get with there it, man. Go. Come well, on. I forgot about that. <laughs> 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 hey, guys, let's kind of break down the last couple of days for, for some key teams. Obviously, uh, we feel like they have the Cleveland Browns owned and dominated the draft so far this year. We'll start with them. Obviously, they uh, drafted number one overall, uh, Baker Mayfield. Uh, then they uh, drafted a guy from Ohio State, uh, Denzel Ward, in uh, number four overall. And then... Uh, uh, a guy out of uh, uh, Nevada, Austin Cooper, uh, number 33 overall. Um, a, a running back, uh, Nick Chubb out of Georgia, uh, the other Chubb, and Miami defensive end, Chad Thomas. I, you know, I'd give them a, 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 a day one grade, B, day two grade, A, maybe an overall grade of a B plus. But the thing about it is they went with the wrong Chubb, Ed. And, Rick, we'll go with you, Ed, and then we'll go to you, Rick. But go, go ahead, Ed. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we talked about that on the draft uh, special that we had Thursday night. It's uh, Bradley Chubb was the guy. Pass rushers are hard to find. You could have put him opposite Miles Garrett and be set with the bookends. I mean, if, if we haven't learned anything about the NFL these last few years when it comes to the Super Bowl is that, you know, if you can pressure the quarterback, you can win the game. The Eagles did it against Brady. The Giants did it against Brady. Uh, you know, and why wouldn't you take a defensive end in that spot? Uh, but, you know, they took a cornerback. They like him. They think he'll be something. And, you know, to me, Tom and Rick, with that pick at 33, that, that guard from Nevada, I, you know, I'm not really sold on that. I think that was a, a reach to grab him. I thought I had him rated a little bit lower, but, you know, really what do I know? But I still don't think he was the guy to take at 33. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but, uh, yeah, maybe the Browns will be that team in the AFC. Boy, wouldn't that be weird if, if they're the team that rises up eventually? <laughs> and unseats the Patriots no, with that team. No longer the mistake on the lake, but we'll see what happens. Uh, Rick, uh, what are your overall thoughts on the Cleveland Browns and so far what they've done in the draft in, in days one and two? Well, Thursday night during our, our live show, I actually loved the, uh, the Baker Mayfield pick at number one, but I think I was just caught up in the whole shock and awe uh, of the whole thing. You know, it was a big surprise because we were talking about them taking Sam Darnold this whole time or – maybe an outside chance of taking rolls, and they took Baker Mayfield. So it was uh, interesting. It was surprising, and I got caught up in it. But now that I've sat on it for like a day, uh, now I feel like the Browns are just going to – they're going to Browns because uh, they take Denzel Ward at, at number four with Bradley Chubb sitting there looking them straight in the face. So now I can't even take the Baker Mayfield pick seriously. Well, I tell you what, I worry about May- Baker Mayfield for a lot of things. They say money never changes you, um, it, but it does, but it doesn't. But at the same time, I think he's just cocky enough to turn into another uh, Johnny Manziel. I hope I'm wrong about that. But certainly, I just think, again, this was a ri- ri- risky pick overall. Uh, let's go ahead and go down to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, certainly a lot of talk about them Um they're, they went with the Virginia Tech safety Terrell Edmonds, uh, the number 28 overall. Really wasn't uh, – I didn't know where that came from, maybe a depth thing more than anything, but it just seemed like an odd number one pick. Oklahoma State, they picked uh, wide receiver James Washington, number 60 overall. Uh, Oklahoma State, uh, Mason Rudolph, number 76 overall. And Western Michigan, offensive tackle, and I'm not even going to try to say his name, Okaparar, uh, <laughs> number 92 overall. I give him a B, uh, Ed. Uh, nothing too exciting uh, from the Pittsburgh Steelers camp this year. Yeah, I think you can call that Okafora guy just Chuck, right? Chucks, I think is what they call him, Chuck. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a lot easier. Yeah, Chuck. 
Yeah, well, you know, the Steelers have a good track record of developing players, and really that's what this is all about. You know, we, we talk so much about these players in this draft that you think, oh, my gosh, when they get drafted, this is going to be great. These guys are going to be great. Uh, but there, there's still developmental work that needs to be done, and the Steelers do a very good job of that. I think these guys they took, I know they all have question marks, and I, I'm not sure you couldn't have gotten a James Washington maybe a little bit later in the draft. I, I don't know, but, you know, he's got – He's got things to work on. Uh, Chuck's, he's got, uh, he's definitely a project, but, uh, you know, they can work with him. Uh, and then even that first round pick you mentioned, Edmonds, that kind of came from out of nowhere. But, uh, again, it's about development with these guys. They certainly landed some players, and, you know, you can throw Mason Rudolph in there too, but they landed some players that have the ability uh, to get better. And now that's what it's all about is, you know, these coaching staffs across the league have to mold these players into NFL players. They're good college players, yeah, but now it's time to see what they can do developmentally. And I think these guys, the Steelers pick, all have pretty good upside. The Steelers have a good track record of, of developing players. Uh, and so I would expect that, you know, these guys will be heard from in the next, you know, year and beyond. I got a question Talking for with, Ed. Uh, Ed Kratz, or uh, hey, real quickly, real quickly, Rick. Uh, I'll, we'll get to you in just a second. I see that Mo has joined us. I'm open to the BS Sports Show. Mo, I know we've got you for a limited time because you got a live remote that you've got to do today because you got you get paid to do radio stuff. So uh, we get that. We understand that. But we're kind of recapping the last couple of days of the draft. Uh, certainly, uh, we, we talked about the Colts' number one pick, uh, Quentin Nelson, and we talked a little bit about the risky pick of uh, uh, Baker Mayfield, and, and we were just talking a little bit about the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, uh, Mo, uh, what are your thoughts uh, over the last uh, – couple days of the NFL draft overall? Well, I think, uh, you know, obviously some teams have gotten better. Some teams have taken risk. I, I think uh, when you look overall, I like what the, the Chicago Bears have done. Uh, you know, I like the moves the Colts have made. Uh, you know, I uh, I saw uh, uh, the odd phone call that uh, the Colts made to Quentin Nelson. Jim Irsay, she didn't never be filmed doing anything. Good God, he seems like he's always high. And just out of his mind. Uh, but uh, that's so Quentin Nelson has signed up for, and uh, hey, it'll be interesting man. to see. Hey, man. Uh, we want to see you just knock people around the field, man. It's really cool to have you here, man. Wow. <laughs> that was classic. That was classic. Go, go ahead, Rick. I know you had a question for Ed. I just want to make sure we went. To Mo, as he's got a remote that he's got to do as well. Go ahead, uh, Rick. Yeah, we just talked about the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the uh, the actual first uh, wide receiver taken in this draft was Martavis Bryant, as the Steelers traded him away for a third-round pick. Was that because Bryant did not want to be in Pittsburgh anymore, or is there off-the-field issues that maybe we don't know? That's why the Steelers uh, traded him away. Sure, and he kind of spoke out about that, and, uh, you know, I just think that instead of being a headache, the Steelers decided to rid themselves of that headache and uh, get a third-round pick for it. Great trade by them uh, to get such value for somebody like him. But, yeah, he's a talent, no question about it. But now he's got to be used and he's got to be happy. You know, he's one of those high-maintenance type of players, and I think the Steelers are just tired of dealing with it. 
So, uh, Mo, let's go ahead and let's uh, talk a little bit about we were talking about the passing of the torch in the AFC. Maybe you could tell us who you think that might be. That we think that maybe that the AFC dominancy of the New England Patriots is coming to an end, that this could be the year that that's going to go away. So maybe give us your thoughts on that. But most importantly, let's look at the Houston Texans. I mean, they're going to be a thorn in our butt. The Jaguars are going to be a thorn in our butt. Uh, they picked up uh, a... a, a uh, uh, Justin Reed out of Stanford, I believe, in the, in the number 68 overall, Mississippi State. They picked up a, a guy from Mississippi State. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people like what they've done in the draft. Every place I've seen, every grade I've seen with the Houston Texans, Mo, they've given them an A. We have got to figure out a way to stop Houston this year. Go ahead, Mo. Jacksonville, you know, with, uh, with Andrew Luck returning from injury, that defensive backfield of uh, of Jacksonville will be worrisome. The defense, uh, the rush, the game of uh, the Texans is worrisome, and and the Texans and the uh, Titans have gotten better too. Uh, to me, I, I think this year uh, you're going to see the Steelers make one last run at it. I think the same uh, with the Patriots, at least with Tom Brady at quarterback. But I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I still I like the Jacksonville Jaguars. I, I really like that football team. Uh, I mean, I think there's still a little bit of question with Blake Bortles, a quarterback, but I, I like that Jacksonville football team. I think it's going to be very tough for the Annapolis Colts uh, in the AFC this year. Uh, I look for the Raiders probably to bounce back, I would think, this year, uh, at least a little bit, even with the new head coach, a new coaching uh, regime there. I, I think that they've got to rebound. They've got too many talented players on that team. But I like the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, in the AFC. Well, and a lot of people do it, and, and this also might be the the year of the Titans. Uh, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Uh, so uh, let's uh, go on over to you again, Ed. Uh, the Houston Texans. A lot of people are liking what they've done. I've not seen anything lower than an A for their grade. Of course, that really doesn't mean anything at this point because they've not done anything on the field yet. But what are your thoughts, Houston Texans, day one and two? Yeah, you know, that's going to be a really tough division, I think, uh, that AFC South. Um, you know, that – Mike Mo said the Jags, they're, they're the team right now, I think, that's going to kind of be uh, – you know, they made the playoffs last year, but they're definitely a team on the rise. And then the Texans, you know, they did a great job in the draft so far. And then you throw in the fact that Deshaun Watson's going to be coming back uh, from that knee injury. Uh, we'll see if – you know, how long it takes him to kind of recover from that, as we will see how long it'll take Carson Wentz and Philly to come back from his knee injury. But when you, when you factor in Deshaun Watson on that team, I think he's a better quarterback than Blake Bortles. And, you know, the Texans could be that team. And then the Titans are coming in off a playoff season. You know, Mariota another year uh, at the helm. That's a tough – that's going to be a really dogfight, that division. I mean, those three teams to me are going to be uh, three of the better teams uh, in the AFC, and uh, the Texans certainly did themselves a big favor by having a pretty nice draft so far, you know. But uh, like you said, we haven't seen them do anything. We did see Watson last year do some terrific things before the injury, and that's kind of what excites me the most about that team is, is seeing uh, how the, the Sean Watson uh, continues to develop. 
Rick, when was the last time we could say that the AFC South was going to be a strong division? Uh, so let's stay on that. The Texans, the Titans, the Jaguars, of course, we've got the Colts uh, rebuilding. They're in a rebuild year. Not a lot to expect from the Colts, even though as fans and as homers, we'd like to see a lot. I think we'll just be happy to see uh, Andrew Luck play a full season. Uh, what are your thoughts on the AFC South and the overall draft uh, over the last couple of days, uh, Rick, with the AFC South? I would say, you know, Andrew Luck comes back. He's healthy. He can full season. And uh, the process that Frank Reich is building and the team he's building, the process he's installing there, give the Colts about two seasons, and we'll be talking about them in the exact same way we're talking about the rest of the division. It's probably going to be the new black and blue division. You know, I'm an NFC North fan, but that is a really tough division right now. And you let the uh, Frank, Frank Reich put his touches on that team and give him two seasons, and we'll be talking about the Colts in the exact same way. Mo, I know you've got a remote that you've got to get to, so we want to make sure that we, we get uh, everything in. Uh, but when we look at across the NFL as a whole, we saw a great Philadelphia Eagles team last year and Carson Wentz. As, as we look across the landscape uh, of the NFL, we, we're seeing a lot of changes. Talk with us a little bit about what you think we can see and maybe some of the things that this draft is going, is going to really – there's a lot of plug-and-play players this year. This was a very strong draft. Maybe I'm wrong, but this was the first time when I saw so many quarterbacks available and really teams kind of say, no, we're good on quarterback. We're going to go a different direction. So what are your thoughts? Well, go ahead. Well, I, I think that the Eagles are going to be tremendous again this year, whether they start the season with or without Carson Wentz, because I think Nick Foles has proved to play very well uh, in that city and in that system. The real concern for the Eagles for me this year would be the – I think the, this will be a year of reemergence for the uh, New York football giants, uh, adding Saquon Barkley, adding Nate Soldier, uh, the return of Odell Beckham Jr., the return of healthy uh, wideouts. And uh, I think this defense has got to play better this year, obviously, than it did last year. Uh, so I think the New York football giants will see a resurgence. They're one of the teams that said no to a quarterback. Uh, the Denver Broncos adding Bradley Chubb uh, along with uh, Von Miller on that defense and a great defensive backfield I think will help. Uh, with Case Keenum there, uh, an actual serviceable quarterback uh, there in, in Denver, uh, adding the uh, wide receiver in the draft uh, who's a tall, lanky kid who can uh, go get the football, uh, adding some youth to those wide receiver uh, adepts. I, I think Denver you'll see a, a reemergence of uh, again this year as well. But I think those are the two big teams that passed early on quarterbacks uh, that could have taken quarterbacks that I think you'll see a resurgence from this year. Mo, uh, uh, do you got to go, or can you hang around a little bit longer? Or Yeah, I got about five minutes. Okay, uh, we'll go ahead and we'll go on over to uh, uh, Ed. Ed, let's take a look at this NFC, and obviously we're going to talk about your next favorite team, and that's the the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, if you will. Uh, <laughs> they picked up uh, linebacker uh, out of Boise State uh, in the 19 overall. They got a, a, an offensive guard, uh, Connor Williams. Uh, they picked up uh, a guy from Colorado State, wide receiver Michael Gallup, uh, number 81 overall. Uh, really, uh, overall, great. People are are giving the Cowboys an A. Yeah, I, I, maybe. I don't know. I know they probably would have taken Dallas Goddard, the tight end, that the Eagles jumped ahead of him to grab. I mean, Jason Witten caught him off guard with that surprise announcement to retire uh, to head into the uh, ESPN Monday night booth, I think it is. So, uh, you know, they were looking tight end. Dallas Goddard even said on a conference call last night after he was picked by the Eagles that he thought he was headed to Dallas. Uh, you know, he's named Dallas because his father is a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. 
His stepdad is a Packers fan. Um, so and now he's an Eagle. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the Cowboys, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I like those <laughs> thought on the Giants as far as them having a resurgence. I picked the Giants actually last year to win the NFC East, and then the wheels just came off. And my only question is, is with a 37-year-old quarterback, you know, not everybody can beat Tom Brady and be successful uh, until you're 40. So at some point you wonder when will the wheels come off from Eli Manning. Uh, and then to me, Odell Beckham, uh, I'm not a big fan of a guy that creates headaches and division in a locker room. Uh, and I think that Odell Beckham does that. I'm not sure the Giants will ever be that team with that type of player on the roster, especially seeing how cohesive the Eagles roster was last year and the culture that they built and how much of a factor that was in them winning the Super Bowl. I have my doubts. Uh, you know, when you have a player that's that divisive. But, you know, the Cowboys, to me, I don't know. I, you know, they haven't really done anything to help Dak Prescott. Uh, Michael Gallup, yeah, okay. I, I don't know. Maybe he'll be good. We'll see. I, I don't know why they needed another guard in Connor Williams. Again, I think the Eagles caught them a little flat-footed there by taking Gutter one spot before they picked. So they kind of went with Connor Williams. I, I'm not even sure Connor Williams will be as good as he was two years ago in Texas. He didn't have a good season. Uh, in 2017. So, you know, I don't know. I, Leighton Vanderesh, yeah, you know, he's a good picket linebacker. But, you know, he played eight-on-eight football growing up in uh, in Idaho, I think it was. Uh, I know he was great at Boise State, but, you know, I, I have some questions about him. So we'll see how it works out for the Cowboys. I, to me, I, I'm not sure they're not the worst team in the NFC East at this point. I like what the Redskins did. I think they'll be a factor. Uh, and then, again, with the Giants, I have some big questions. I think it's going to be the Eagles and Redskins uh, in that division kind of battling it out. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people like what the Redskins did. Uh, Mo, we'll get with you uh, for uh, uh, one final thought, if you will, before you, you, you have to go. You sit smack dab in the middle of two TV markets, uh, the Browns and the, and the Bears. Uh, a lot of people are liking what the Bears are doing. I personally can't stand the Bears. I'm just saying nothing against them. Just I uh, don't like the Bears. But nonetheless, uh, in your neck of the woods, a lot of people like the Bears. What are they saying? Well, I, I think the biggest pickup for the Bears, regardless of, you know, I like the linebacker out of Georgia. I think the biggest pickup for the Bears, honestly, in this area, is the their uh, new offensive line coach. Uh, their new offensive line coach has done so much work at uh, at Notre Dame, cranking out All-Americans. So, to me, that's the biggest pickup, regardless of what the Bears do in the draft. But I think they've had a good draft. I think people are excited and nervous to uh, see what Mitchell Trubisky brings uh, this year to the uh, to the Bears on the offensive side. So, I think there is uh, some excitement, but people aren't overestimating that the Bears are a playoff team by any stretch yet. Okay, Mo, where can people find your work and your masterpieces at, sir? Uh, normally in a gas station bathroom wall or uh, on Twitter at Mo Richards. <laughs> All right, buddy. Uh, you have yourself a, a good weekend. Have yourself a good remote. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks. Mo for the BS Sports Show uh, couldn't join us as long as he wanted to uh, because of his uh, obligations. Uh, we'll go back to you, uh, Ed. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Chicago Bears. Uh, a lot of people are liking what they've done, and as, as Mo just said, uh, they're not a playoff team yet, but they're certainly putting some pieces in, in place. Go ahead, uh, Ed. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, but, you know, maybe they rise quicker than you think. I mean, I – Again, I go back to last year when nobody really had the Eagles pegged to do much at all. So, you know, we saw what happened. Um, you know, could the Bears be that team? I mean, there's going to be a surprise team or two that's out there, and 
um, kind of like the Eagles were last year. So, you know, maybe the Bears uh, can surprise. It's a tough division, though, that they're in, obviously, with the Vikings uh, having coming off an NFC championship year and getting Dalvin Cook back as a runner and, uh, you know, having a new quarterback in Cousins. I mean, to me, the Vikings are the cream of the crop in that division, if not, the you know, the entire NFC. Um, but uh, I like what the Bears have done, no doubt. I like the fact they added Trey Burton, the Eagles tight end. I mean, Burton's ready to step up and be the number one tight end. And, you know, I think he'll be a factor in the pass game with Trubisky. So, uh, yeah, I like what the Bears are doing. They still have some work to do. But, you know, could they surprise some teams and maybe, you know, push to be a 500 team? I, I think they I think they can. You know, this is going to be Trubisky's third year. Uh, so it's time to step up now for him. And, and I think he will. I like Trubisky. Uh, I think the Bears could, could be a factor uh, in that division. Of course, then there's Rick's Lions. Uh, you know, where are they going to factor in, Rick? What are they, they going to do? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think, right I at, think at they have the Rick, best receiving I, core in that division uh, as of right now, the Golden Tate and yeah. Marvis Jones Jr. and Tony uh, T.J. Jones, a uh, solid receiving core. I think it's probably the best receiving core in that division and, and pretty good quarterback too. Here's the thing, what I've seen uh, over the last couple of days with the Detroit Lions, uh, uh, Rick, I have them on my list here to go to in the first place. Uh, let's, let's say a roller coaster go up, great, first day A, and they dropped to the bottom in the second one, and then they started to go back up again. So you had a roller coaster of a ride over the last three days. I think they got a little bit stronger in the middle by, by picking Ragnu, but uh, your, your, your first day, uh, round one, great. Round two, you hit the bottom. Uh, it looks like you guys are on the trend to go backwards, back up, but certainly overall, you guys get a C for a grade. Well, I'll, I'll just leave, uh, you know, first-time head coach Matt Patricia. Uh, you know, I'll just leave that process to him. Uh, obviously, taking Frank uh, Ragnall, number one, he's focused on uh, that offensive line, and hopefully maybe some other at some point in my lifetime we get a 100-yard rusher during the game. Uh, and that's that's the focus. You know, it's going to take a lot of pressure off Matt Stafford to get that offensive line built up and that running game going. And I think uh, it's going to be confusing because now they got Ragnar on the line and Glasgow. So getting the two guys, uh, they don't not getting them mixed up is going to be pretty tough. But the focus is on the offensive line. I think that was the right pick. Rick Riggin, our executive producer and diehard Detroit Lions fan, and that's uh, completely okay. It's certainly, man, in our war room, how's things going on in the war room today, sir? Uh, pretty good. I had a lot of uh, retweets and uh, some interaction for our, our racing segment. And, you know, since I've been on, you know, actually talking on the air for this segment, you know, I haven't been on the social media too much because, yeah, I'm only one man, Tom. I'm only one man. Dude. Dude, you told me that you were multiple men. <laughs> you told me you were multiple men. <laughs> Rick, uh, yeah, definitely uh, promoting out our, our segment bit. with uh, Ed Kratz and, and Mo when he was on and uh, getting the phone number out there for people. to It's their chance to talk with Ed Kratz. So, uh, you know, 917-889-8516 is that number. And follow Ed Kratz on Twitter. It's a great follow. Absolutely. Everybody should follow Ed. Ed, let's talk a little bit about the uh, Green Bay Packers and what they've been able to do. Everybody's uh, saying A, 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 A. And let's see some of your thoughts. Yeah, you, you kind of faded out there a little, Tom. I, I didn't quite hear you. I heard the Packers. Um, oh, I said, but, I said uh, everybody's giving the Packers A. 
everybody's giving the Packers an A, and also Aaron Rodgers is going to get paid this year. Go ahead. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. But I, I first want to say, Tom, you sound a little like Bob Ursay when when uh, when Rick was talking about being the one man band. You're like, dude. Oh, I thought you were going into your Bob Ursay impression there uh, for a second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't see. I, I haven't seen that clip that Rick or uh, Mo talked about uh, the, the conversation with Quentin Nelson. I'm going to have to uh, to Google that. I, I, you know, that sounds to me like uh, you know something. Something to remember the draft by is that phone conversation. I don't know if there's a clip out there of that, but I, I got to get my hands on it. If there I can. is. Um, there is. A, I'll have a, a. Hey, Rick, you're there uh, on the social media end of it. I, I know it's on there, but just go to the Colts website, the call, uh, and then you can just copy that link and send it over to Ed. Uh, but that's where it's at. It's on the Colts website, right. the call uh, to, Qu- to Quentin Nelson. So, uh, Rick, I'll get that out to you, Ed. Right here in just a, a, a few minutes, but really seriously, uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he yeah. should he should uh, take Kirk Cousins uh, out for a steak dinner because Kirk Cousins assured that he is going to get paid mammothly this year. Yeah, well, you know, look, you know, Rodgers should ask all these young quarterbacks to pitch in on that bill uh, to take Cousins out because they're all licking their chops uh, with what uh, Kirk Cousins got deal-wise. You know, Wentz is and. Uh, you know, maybe Jared Goff at some point will be. And, uh, you know, that really set a high benchmark. So, yeah, Rodgers deserves to get paid. But, you know, remember, Rodgers is also – he's not getting any younger, uh, you know, coming off of an injury again. Um, but, yeah, he certainly deserves to get paid. And he, he is the, uh, the the stir that stirs the – or the straw that stirs the Packers' drink, no doubt about it. And, you know, the Packers are, are going to be a force in that division. Uh, you know, they're going to contend with the Vikings, no, no doubt about it. That's going to be a, a tough battle. And then, like Rick said, the Lions, you know, I like what the Lions did based on I read a lot about how these players that Matt Patricia drafted are, are tough, physical, love-to-play-the-game type of players. And, and, you know, that's kind of what they had in New England, and, and that's kind of what he wants to bring to the Lions is that toughness, uh, you know, especially up front uh, and being able to run the ball. So, uh, you know, I, I like that division a lot. The Packers, to me, made some great moves in the draft as far as they really bolstered their cornerback position. Um, you know, the defensive coordinator is new. Mike Petton, he's a friend of mine. I he used to be a high school football coach in this area, and I got to know him very well. Uh, his son and my son are, are fairly close. So I think that Mike Petton and that defense, uh, which has always been a question mark with the Packers during these last few years, that defense, I think it's going to be better. Uh, and, and then you put Aaron Rodgers at the head of that offense, and now you have a more of a complete team. So, uh, again, like the AFC South is going to be tough. I think that AFC North is going to be very tough as well. I totally, totally 100% agree with you, Ed. And, you know, Rick, as you said, you're an AFC uh, North fan, and we just talked about the Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings were one game away uh, from the Super Bowl in their home field. The Minnesota Vikings, uh, what say you uh, as far as what they've been able to do in the draft and uh, going forward to 2018, what do you think? Well, first of all, I ask and you shall receive, Ed, that uh, Colts phone call to Quentin Nelson is now on your Twitter account. And uh, I, I'm interested interested in seeing what Kirk Cousins can come in and do right off the bat with the Minnesota Vikings. That was a great pickup during the offseason. And uh, just to add to those dynamic weapons, you said, as you said, Ed, Dalvin Cook now coming back. Uh, dangerous team. Uh, Going to be right there at the Eagles for the best team in the NFC. Uh, but also, Ed, question – uh, 
What about the Atlanta Falcons this year, picking up at Calvin Ridley? Now he joins Julio Jones, uh, Matt Ryan, Muhammad Sanu, uh, Dante Freeman. Uh, that is going to be a scary offense to contend with. So I think the Falcons could potentially be right there with the Vikings and the Eagles. That's a great point. And the, that's a great point. And the Eagles open with the Falcons. That's the kickoff. You know, that's the spotlight game that starts the season on that Thursday night before the opening weekend. Uh, and, and let's look, you know, the, the Falcons almost beat the Eagles in that first playoff game, uh, you know, that divisional round last year. They were just a completion away. Uh, you know, they had the ball fourth and goal, and they threw the incomplete pass late in the game. Otherwise, they might have beaten the Eagles, and, you know, history would look a little different right now. But, yeah, you can't discount the Falcons. And Boy, you're right. That offense is going to be dynamic. Uh, you know, you put Ridley – uh, up there with Jones and Sanu, and that was already a dangerous offense without uh, without Ridley. And then you factor in the run game, their ability to run the football. Uh, you know, that's an offense that could lead the league in scoring uh, potentially, they, like they did during their Super Bowl run two years ago uh, when they just – it was like a pinball game, just putting points on the board left and right. The question with them, though, is going to be the defense. Have they done enough on that defensive side of the ball uh, to kind of keep teams at bay while that offense does its thing? Um, that's the question with the Falcons. And that's, to me, everybody thought the Vikings were going to kick off the season with the Eagles. Uh, but I love this matchup with the Falcons, uh, you know, in that, that opening, uh, that Thursday night game. I think it's going to be a great matchup. Their first game last year in that playoffs was a terrific ball game. Uh, I think it's going to be another good one. It could set a tone for the season for Atlanta. Uh, we'll see how quickly Ridley can, you know, get a hold of the offense, and I think he'll be fine. And uh, I think the Falcons will be a fun team to watch offensively. Well, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, AF, uh, that NFC South. You got the Panthers, you got the Saints, and you got the Bucks making some noise in the draft as well. So uh, overall, you know I, I, what I'm seeing across the board with Tampa and New Orleans uh, and, and uh, Carolina all getting A's uh, for for the draft this year. Uh, as we look at the the uh, NFC, uh, I'm sorry, the NFC South. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, you know, the NFC or the Tampa Bay Bucks have two former Eagle linemen on that team. You know, Bo Allen and Vinnie Curry are now in Tampa. And, you know, they have Gerald McCoy, and then they drafted uh, Vita Vey. I think they got Vita Vey. I think that was their pick, um, Tampa. So they, they've really done a good job addressing that defensive line. And, you know, we saw with the Eagles last year how uh, a defensive line can carry a team. Um, but, again, it, with them, they've done a great job addressing that defense, especially that line. But – where is Jameis, uh, Jameis Winston in his, uh, in his development? Uh, you know, this is year three like it is for Mariota. And, you know, to me, he, uh, Winston didn't really show a whole lot of progress last year. And so this is a big year for him to kind of step forward and, and show what he can do with this offense because I think that defense uh, is vastly improved in Tampa. And, uh, you know, I, I like the Bucks. The Eagles play the Bucks this year, I think, week two down in Tampa. Again, another great test for the Eagles. Uh, to see how they come out of the gate as defending champions. They go Falcons and Bucks, and, you know, everybody's going to be gunning for the Eagles. And, you know, for the Bucks, if they can somehow find a win in that game, that could be a launching point for them to have a terrific season in that division. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rick, let's get your thoughts a little bit on the on the AFC uh, South, and we'll go on over to the uh, AFC West. Josh Rosen ends up with the Arizona Cardinals. That's a definitely a home run hit for them, and certainly an indication that no longer that quarterbacks go to Arizona uh, to be put out to pasture. Rick, go ahead. 
Yeah, the NFC South is basically a, a three-man race, and I'm just saying that because I've just kind of lost faith in uh, Jameis Winston down at Tampa Bay. But, uh, you know, they were thinking that maybe uh, Sean Payton might, you know, throw a curveball, pick up Lamar Jackson to kind of back up Drew Brees, and, you know, Drew Brees might play from there five, ten years. Who knows? But they were – that was kind of the rumor, and that didn't happen. So they're still all in on Drew Brees. He's still a – you know, he's a Hall of Famer. So uh, he's still playing at that level. He's he's a uh, elite. So it's really a uh, New Orleans, Carolina, and Atlanta. And I I like Atlanta in that division. And as far as Josh Rosen goes to Arizona, I also think it's a great spot for him to land. He gets to sit behind Sam Bradford and kind of pick up uh, some of that offense. And you know Bradford's a, a great veteran to learn from. So I think it's a great situation for Josh Rosen. And let's let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this AFC West. You've got the Cardinals, you've got the Rams, you've got the 49ers. All of these teams, especially the Rams and the 49ers, made an impact in 2017, and they're looking to capitalize on that momentum in 2018. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean Josh Rosen, again, one of those players, one of the quarterbacks taken in the top ten, one of the four, and uh, you know the book on him is he's a, a terrific passer. Uh, but a little bit slender through the shoulders. Can he hold up? But, you know, Eli Manning's not exactly built like an Adonis either, and he's been one of the most durable quarterbacks in this league. So, you know, he plays the game uh, Manning does to to stay healthy and does a good job of it. Uh, Hopefully Rosen can learn how to do the same thing. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Arizona admitted they kind of got beat last year on Patrick Mahomes when the Chiefs traded up uh, to, I think, the 10th spot to pick Mahomes. The Cardinals were hoping to take him last year. They wanted the quarterback. They didn't get him. So they were aggressive. They jumped up a few spots, and they grabbed Rosen. And, uh, you know, to me, uh, given Sam Bradford's uh, health history, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Josh Rosen is the starter day one there and Sam Bradford is just a backup. Uh, but, you know, we'll see how Rosen, again, can adjust, if he can stay healthy, too, with that slender frame of his. Um, but, yeah, I like I like the NFC West a little bit. The 49ers, of course, are, I guess, the team to watch there with Garoppolo and, uh, you know, some of the things that they've done. Uh, you know, they got the, the tackle uh, to protect him. I think they went offensive line again later in the draft. The 49ers did so. They sure you did. Know, they they did went Mike McGlinchey from Notre Dame. Yeah, McGlinchey. Right. And with the first – I think didn't they go with another lineman later, Rick? I think they might have. Uh, I, I, I think know. you're right. I think they did, and I think they got it right because I, they know when they, you have a franchise quarterback, you have to protect him. And uh, you know, maybe that's something the Colts didn't do with Andrew Luck, uh, kind of neglecting that line. And now we see what happens. And, um, but yeah, I think the, the 49ers are a team to watch. The Seahawks are kind of on the, you know, you wonder what they'll be. Their their Legion of Doom is no more. All those guys are scattered. Earl Thomas is still there, but. Uh, you know, they're not the defense that they once were. Michael Bennett, of course, is now in Philadelphia. Um, so, you know, we'll see where they're trending. To me, they're, they're kind of trending downward. 49ers are on the rise. Cardinals still have some work to do. Uh, and I'm forgetting a team there uh, in the NFC West. Uh, yeah, you're forgetting the Rams. The Rams. You're forgetting the Rams. Oh, the Rams will be right there with the Falcons <laughs> oh, the and, and, and the oh, Vikings. Yeah. They're, Upper echelon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right about the Rams are all in, aren't they? So it is all in. All in. Yeah. <laughs> so and uh, fi- uh, final question here, and I know we we, we got to wrap things up here. Uh, go back to your home camp, the Philadelphia Eagles. Carson Wentz, Nick Foles. Nick Foles wins the Super Bowl for you. Uh, Carson Wentz is your starting quarterback as of now. 
Let me ask you this. How big of a leash does uh, Carson Wentz have this year, or is it? are they all in with Carson Wentz and Nick Foles is all in being happy where he's at? Well, Nick Foles has agreed to uh, stay on another year beyond he had a one-year deal, uh, or one year, I should say, left on his deal, and that was 2018. Now, him and the Eagles uh, negotiated another deal to keep him here. The Eagles gave him a, a nice little raise of about $3 million after uh, what he did for them last year, stepping in and uh, becoming the Super Bowl MVP. But this is, you know, this is Carson Wentz's team. He was picked second overall uh, and has done nothing to deserve any seat on the bench at all. Uh, you know, he was having an MVP year last year before the knee injury, and he's a re- big reason why the Eagles even made it into the Super Bowl because they were 11-2 and two when he went out. So uh, when he's healthy and ready to go, this is Carson Wentz's team. His leash will be as long as you want it to be. It'll stretch from Philly to Indianapolis, Tom, because he's not going anywhere. Foles, as far as uh, him being happy, yeah, he wants to start again. He's a competitor who wouldn't. But, you know, him and Wentz are, are very good friends. He wants to see Carson get his, so to speak, in terms of uh, a Super Bowl ring, even though Wentz did get one. Uh, he wasn't in the ultimate game as a starter. Foles was. But Foles is a friend of Wentz's. He wants to see him do well. Uh, and, and he's more than happy to subjugate whatever ego he has to make sure Wentz can get his. Uh, and then, you know, beyond 2018, we'll see. It's a mutual option year. The Eagles and the Foles have put together for 2019. In other words, if the Eagles want Foles back and Foles wants to come back, then that, that's the way they'll go. If one of them wants to part ways, then they'll go that way. So he's signed, sealed, and delivered for 2018, uh, and he'll be happy to sit behind Wentz. I don't think Wentz will be ready game one. He might be. Uh, but if he's not, Foles will be there. Uh, having said that, of course, now he'll probably That's get traded today. But, <laughs> but uh, no, I think That's usually how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Ed, Ed Kratz, uh, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, USA Today, our official NFL contributor. Uh, Ed, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Well, hit me up on Twitter, at Kratzee, K-R-A-C-Z-E. Uh, you can find my stuff there and uh, – you know, we have a busy day today. Four more rounds of the draft. Uh, Colts will be busy. The Lions, Rick, Lions will be busy. The Eagles, of course, will be busy. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful day in Philadelphia, and I'll be sitting inside all day watching this draft. But, uh, listen, it's a living. All right, buddy. Well, we'll be following you on Twitter, and uh, we'll see what happens in, in today's draft. And uh, thank you for joining us, sir. You have yourself a good draft day, sir. Yes, thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Ed Kratz, uh, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and USA Today, our official NFL contributor. And uh, Rick, uh, you're our executive producer, but you know Ed for a while now. And Ed as brings a lot of value to this show, so certainly glad that Definitely. he was able to help uh, in, our su- in our success of the, uh, of the show on Thursday night. I, think, I thought that was a great show. Those that missed it, I need to go check it out on Apple uh, tunes uh, I used to be iTunes, which is now Apple Podcast, uh, iTunes, and Stitcher, and coming soon Spotify and iHeart. Uh, yes, we are are everywhere. Rick and, and Rick is doing a great job of maintaining our platforms uh, uh, for us as well. Rick, we haven't had a chance to talk about the AMVETS today. Talk with us a little bit about how people can get involved with the AMVETS and veterans uh, organization. Well, AMVETS is just been a veterans organization helping out uh, fighting for the benefits our, our veterans uh, are entitled to since World War II uh, here in Indiana it's 30 bucks, uh, 30 bucks a year for membership you don't have to be a veteran uh, to join uh, before I left though I was going to mention that uh, 
I think uh, time is short for Jameis Winston down in Tampa Bay, and this might be his final season there if he can't get it together. Uh, And instead of drafting a quarterback in next year's draft, I think they might be in the market for a uh, Super Bowl MVP in Nick Foles. So that'd be a a potential landing spot for Foles next season. (laughs) You know, you were absolutely right when you were saying that. I was thinking that very same thing myself. Uh, Rick, you know, we're kind of in our balance extra now. We're only going to be on this for a minute or two. Uh, But here's the thing. Let's talk a little bit about the Pacers and the Cavaliers. The Pacers have given LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers everything they can. And I tell you what, uh, I think think LeBron James and the Cavs – they're getting gassed. I mean, yes, we still got one more game to play. Yes, it's a game seven at home in Cleveland. Yes, it's going to be difficult for the Pacers to win. Yes, the Pacers are playing on house money. At the same time, Rick, I honestly, truly believe this, not because I'm a Pacer homer, but I honestly, truly believe that the Pacers can beat the Cavaliers in round one. And if that happens, that's going to put the NBA, TNT, uh, uh, TBS, uh, Reggie Miller, uh, uh, everybody in the fetal position because the Cavaliers will not be in the finals this year. What are your thoughts? Well, I think in order to do that, they're, they're going to have to have a game like last night. They don't have to blow them out for 30 points. But what happened with the Pacers last night was they, they cut down on the turnovers. And we're seeing them average about 15 to 17 turnovers just in the first half of, uh, of all the other games. Uh, they even happened in the first game of the series where they won by about 20 points. They cut down the turnovers. They played defense, and the guys were hitting shots. Uh, we're seeing guys not make shots late when we really need shots to go in, uh, especially for Victor Oladipo, and he had a triple-double last night. He's knocking down shots, getting assists, uh, cutting down the turnovers, and guys are stepping up and knocking down free throws. Uh, they've had a problem hitting free throws late in games. Uh, and, and, you know, they're losing these games by three, four, five points, and it's, just, it's coming down to free throws, missing free throws, missing opportunities late. Uh, late and the Pacers put a, put a a complete game together last night. Cut down on the turnovers, hit the free throws. A guy stepped up when when the game was starting to tilt towards the Cavs at, at you know one point or the other. Uh, so they need that again tomorrow night. They got had to, to put together another complete game. So it's going to be a tough environment in Cleveland. I tell you what. Also, if we look out west, uh, just a, a few words: Houston, fifty burger. I tell you what, Golden State uh, is not entitled to uh, the the championship again this year. Oh no way! And it, it, uh, I'm looking forward to that Houston Golden State series. You know if that happens down the road here. That is going to be great, and that's going to uh, determine probably the next couple years uh, of the shape of the NBA. Because if Golden State can just pull off a, a, another win you know, a championship or even just beat Houston. I mean, what does that guy, what does that say about the state of, of the NBA? It's just being dominated by Golden State right now. I would like to see Houston uh, uh, get a win there, kind of even things out, you know, bring balance to the force because uh, yeah, it's Golden State running away at the league right now. Of, of course bring balance to the force. So what, what, what else would you bring balance to? How about bringing the force <laughs> to the balance? <laughs> we need to have a star, we need to have a Star Wars theme show uh, sometime, uh, Rick. Uh, we'll get you we'll get you on that uh, as well. So 
Uh, Rick, uh, after the show, is going to get out the link uh, to the show to where you guys can hear us on the, the Stitcher link, the TuneIn link, all of that. Rick's going to get that out there. But most importantly, what we want, guys, is we want our fans to get involved with us. Rick, tell us how they can do that. I'll definitely get out on Twitter, hit our links, uh, call in our, to our shows. During, you know, we're live every Saturday morning. We were, we were live just this past Thursday. Uh, visit thebalanceonline.com. You can get it through the website. number of places, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, uh, soon to be Spotify and iHeartRadio. There's just a, a million ways, no matter what you're doing, what your preference of platform, streaming platform is, uh, the balance is going to be on there. So definitely uh, – Download us at we're going to be anywhere you can find that any app that you have. We're, we're going to be on it. Absolutely. And here's the great thing about it. You know what? A lot of these other shows, uh, they, they, they take snippets and they create best ofs and they and they their podcast might be an interview or their podcast might be a couple of interviews, but their podcast in most cases is not their show. Our podcast is our show. So if you missed the live show and you're listening to the podcast, which if you're hearing my voice right now, you are listening to the podcast uh, because we are no longer live. We are just on the Internet and doing our podcast thing right now. So I tell you what, see, this is what's great. You get to hear things that people on the live show don't get to hear. So our show is our podcast, and Rick is doing a great job of maintaining our, our platforms and uh, certainly uh, uh, Rick is uh, doing a great job with uh, – uh, getting us promoted, and I totally forgot our acronym, uh, Rick. I have a brain fart. Please tell our listeners what our acronym <laughs> is now. We are American AF. That is the acronym. Uh, you can uh, decipher AF as much as you want. <laughs> Google AF. That is the acronym. If you want to talk about the balance, <laughs> if you want to tweet us out, use hashtag American AF. There you go. Let's get that hashtag trending, and I'm serious. American AF. And hashtag the balance as well. Uh, my name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente, Rick Riggin. Rick, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? I know you got 12 versus 5. Talk with us a little bit about what you got going on over there. 12 versus 5, the, uh, the focus uh, for that this week is going to be all on Monday as Romeo Langford finally is going to make his announcement on Monday. IU Vanderbilt, Kansas. Uh, to me, it doesn't make any sense for him to go to Kansas whatsoever. So it's down to IU or Vanderbilt and you know, my focus and a lot of eyes here in Indiana, it's all going to be paying attention to uh, Monday morning. Also find me on Twitter well, at Rick and why, Rick. <laughs> why, why the hell would Romeo Langford want to go to Vanderbilt anyway? For a one and done, it's not like he's going to be a lawyer or a doctor. I you, it only makes sense. He's going to be a Hoosier, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you heard it first here at the, on the balance. Actually, you probably heard it everywhere. But, hey, we'll take credit uh, for telling you uh, first. <laughs> Remember well, our Tom, hashtags, and Rick Tom, will make Tom, sure. Tom, here's the question, real, real, real quick. Here's the question: If he, he he's going to be a one and done, so what team gives him the best shot to to go to the NBA? Is we Archie Miller and IU or Bryce Drew down down at Vanderbilt? That's the question. That sounds like a perfect. That sounds like a perfect poll question for this weekend on the balance. I think it does. Uh, so That's we'll hear does. what the listeners. Absolutely. All right, Rick, we'll talk with you soon. My name's Tom Mark was El Presidente. Don't take a drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. We'll see you next week right here on the Balance Radio Network.
Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.